All right, good evening, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family. Welcome to another great, great, great Sunday evening for another Real Talk episode with Ian and Ian. And we're just really, really, really excited today because it's always a pleasure, you know, that three past students of the great Noble Institution, St. Elizabeth Technical High School, we could come together um you know we are currently in the u.s but we could tell you that all the way from florida past through north carolina down to new york so just want to <laughs> say big up to all the viewers over in new york florida and especially in jamaica we just want to welcome you for joining and we promise that we have a nice entertainment educated inspirational message um to this sunday so before I'll say any further word, I'm going to hand you over to Mr. Ian Thomas, the health and wellness specialist. All right. Thank you, Ian. And, you know, this evening again, I say it's a pleasure, man, to be on here. You know, earlier we had a doctor on, and that was phenomenal. You know, to have a doctor on here would have enlightened us with so much information with regards to healthcare, you know, and especially in this time. And he even went on to talk about mental illness, you know, the, the mind, the mindset. But tonight we have uh, another great presenter for you guys, you know, no other than Dr. Cecil D. Wright. All right. And this is a man who would have, Ian, write about the American dream. And I know everybody want to learn <laughs> more about the American dream. And for a man to write a little book about the American dream, you know, that means we're up for a big one tonight. So, guys, stay tuned and just wait up and get ready to live your American dream when we finish talking to Dr. Cicerite. Dr. Cicerite, we just want to welcome you to this platform. Thank you for taking out of your busy schedule. You know, you could have been doing any other thing you wish. But tonight you choose to be here with Ian and Ian. We're we don't know how long this program go, but you know, as God will lead us, we will just continue to educate and inspire individual. And we could not be more pleased to bring somebody like you on, who is out there empowering the youth, you know, with your message, you know, and you've been an educator and so much more. We're gonna just let you tell the people who is Doctor Sister Wright. Ian is going to say a word of prayer. So it's just going to be an amazing afternoon, man. So welcome, Dr. Wright. Yes, you know, you know thank you, Ian and Ian. You know, I've, I've, I know that I've watched your show a couple of times well and, um, and just being an alumnus some steps myself, very, very familiar with you guys. And um, I feel more honored to be around you guys because you guys are the Olympian and, and the great cricketers and, and, and the great famous people of the world so you know um i'm just humbled to be on the show with you guys all right guys well that's <laughs> the, that's the one thing about uh you know going to stets st elizabeth technical high school we could say that as a as you as a former deputy head boy you know i'm a you know multiple sport guy and you know ian is um you know, you know, educators, sports guy, you know, it's right here in between until his, you know, his mother let him know that um, 
you know, he need to take his book serious. <laughs> and, and I know plenty, plenty of um, plenty of us get that that counseling from the parents. You know, be like, you know, guys, we're spending all this money, but before we get into any further discussion, we're gonna say a quick word of prayer because we know that um, the Lord is gonna guide us tonight and just gonna use us. So let, let's go to the, the word in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, Jesus, we thank you so, so, so much to give us this opportunity to die, just to sit and talk and just to go back to our past, dear God, and also to look ahead to our future. We thank you for guiding us, protecting us, and keeping us, dear God. We're praying that we may continue to, you know, Anyone that might listen to this program, God, that hopefully they might get a good message out of it, dear God. So right now we're asking your presence to step right now in this program with Ian and Ian, dear God. And I want your Holy Spirit, dear God, to guide us, dear God. So with um, all those requests, dear God, I know that you're present and I know can't wait for what you have in store for us. And we're coming to you in your son Jesus name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. All right. So, 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 Doctor Call, Doctor Wright. I, I don't know. I, I have, a, I have, for some reason, the, the word "call" will keep coming up in my head. You know, <laughs> so I, I need to get that out, out my head. But we're just gonna, you know, I send us happy to welcome you. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Um, tonight because you know you have been an educator and you have been an author and you know you're a motivation speaker also and you're just uh, a mentor too so you know so we just have so much information that you know we're going to just get right into it so as usual for me um you know we all know that you're from you know one of the best parish in jamaica saint elizabeth so we're going to get down a little detail for you just to go back to the grassroots just to tell us, um, just to tell us we're Dr. Cecile from. So, all right, Doc, so tell us the truth. So, yeah, so I am from, from St. Elizabeth, um, you know, from a, from a little place. Well, let me not say a little place. Stop saying that. I'm, I'm from, from a place called Brucefield. And most of you might never have heard of Brucefield before, but Brucefield, if you're familiar with St. Elizabeth, you might probably have heard about the famous like Barbara Hall or you might hear about Vineyard is where JBK you know comes from so you might hear about you know Vineyard Barbara Hall but Bruceville this little small community that lies between um you know Barbara Hall and Arlington and you know it's I can tell you that even going back even the 80s when I was attending Stetson um early 80s into the 90s attending Stets you know Bruceville hardly anyone knew about Bruceville but um, it's it's you know country. It's it's country. We have light water and road now, so that makes a lot of difference. But it's it's a community, a farming community, where people tend to do a lot of cattle rearing and and and, and crops and, and so forth to you know to kind of survive. Um, but it's it's on the south side, you know. Um, still the most beautiful place. Still the place where where I find the most joy going back to. Um, if you if you go back home and. When I my tendencies when I go back home is that I have to sleep in my in my room that I grew up in. That is kind of that's that's give me pleasure 
to go back and sleep in there even though i could have slept anywhere else but i i tend to want to go back there and just hear the rain pour and and just enjoy that all right excellent guys so from brucefield st elizabeth um you know true santa cruz so you know we're going to talk we're going to hear how the journey how it all started to you to get to santa cruz so just tell us a little bit about how did you end up at stets and why did you choose stets i know you probably could have gone to other schools but let us know how this mystery started you know i think um i don't think i chose that i think chess stets chose me you know and and that's the way i view it because you know when i went to live in brucefield i attended um mountainside primary school and everybody took the common entrance to go to all these schools and fortunately i didn't get to go to the school on the hill which i won't mention their name um you know <laughs> i got to go to school on the hill but i got into stets and you know so you know and then i you know when i got into stets for me it was like it was like you know i used to be compared all the time when i was growing up in my mind with my sister and i um you know people always compared the two and she went to the other school on the hill the female school is called hampton um i'll save my jokes about that for another time but um she went to a school called hampton and i went to stets and i can tell you you know getting to stets for me was a life life changer because there was the one who opened um, opened their arms and I felt at home once I got there. Beside the rugging um, that take place, but everything else at Stets Theatre, the first, once I entered the gates of Stets, I knew I was onto something great. All right, awesome, awesome, awesome. So, you know, we're so happy that you didn't choose the school on the hill. You know, and you, and you choose the, <laughs> yeah. the, the school on the in the on the flat down there at the bottom in the gully. Now we once starting at the bottom is always it started from the bottom. Now we're here, so no issue starting from the bottom, man. <laughs> All right, man. This year's going too good. So Ian, come on, get it. Get, yeah, get over yeah. to you. Yeah, I'm happy that he, he started the heat, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it will be too cold. You have to pull by sweat. There's another challenge. All right. <laughs> so we're happy that he, you know, he went to, to the to the flat there, you know, the, the plane out. Saint Elizabeth, right there in the middle there, Santa Cruz. You know, I say it's central to a lot of things. You know, but where I want to start, Doctor Cecil, you know, is that journey to Stets. How challenging was it to make it out of that little community that you described, which is no longer now that you're out and writing books and all people know about Brucefield. But how challenging was it back then as a student to make it into Santa Cruz for, for school and not to be late? Or, or did you have some late behind you? Well, you know, yeah, you know what? I wasn't late, but I can tell you one thing. It was challenging. Um, in 2008, um, 2010, I, I was in Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, and we went, went flew into London and then head into, into Nairobi and took a small plane into Bangor. When I got to Nairobi, it was night, so I couldn't get a chance to do what I wanted to do. But when I got into Bangor, I stooped down and I literally um, touched a gun in my hand. And I say to myself, how did a boy from Brucefield, a country boy from Brucefield, who grew up starting to study with Baku Torch. I mean, home sweet home was what I used when I lived in Brucefield as my <laughs> as my light. The cursing oil. I remember we had to go and get cursing oil out of the one shop 
that was a mile out to come back to my house to study. And I and I remember in, in Bangor and said to myself, how did a boy from Brucefield, that's the buckle torch, is now in the motherland called in, in the continent of Africa, right? And the country called Kenya in 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 a in, in a in a remote place called Banga, standing there, known and everyone calling you doctor. So that journey for me, it, it that was an epiphany. I bring you there just to bring you back because what happened, it told me exactly how far. But I can tell you what happened. I believe that even though the journey to Stets and the journey along the way was difficult, um, why I'm so, so focused on mentoring and supporting is that I have a lot of people. You know, I had a mother who wouldn't quit on me. I had a bunch of, you know, um, uncles and friends and then you know, when you're poor, there's one thing you always know about is church. And I think that, you know, I go to church and I used to go to church every Sunday morning and have to walk, you know, like two miles to go to Salvation Army Church, right? And we go up to Salvation Army Church and everybody in a white frack and them big S's on them shoulder and them not the tambourine and you have to go up and see your Sunday school verses and you have to get a chance and you'll lead testimony and those sort of things. All of a sudden, you kind of realize that sort of develop some skills, by going to church that you have elsewhere. So I get those skills. And then as you get those off, all of a sudden, you know, the test entrance came along, you pass the test entrance, and then you have to, you know, figure out your parents and figure out how to get you to stats. You know, and I have to go to early morning and walk before there to go out the road, catch a bus called Presser. And, you know, the Rasta man driving a bus. You know, if you remember that bus, it's a big bus called Folco, right? The bus there was Folco. Okay, she had like a full cup, and you get out there, and we got on full cup, and and the, and the rest of an impressor who I think is in the U.S. here now, drove us on full and, and the bus called full cup every morning. And you, you know, you 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 know you in, in your first couple of months going there, he's a rookie, so you sit up front. But as the years go by, and you start getting a white shirt, and and you start getting promoted, you go to the back of the bus. You understand? Because now you know you're a prefect and you're a deputy head boy. You cannot help to star on the show. But it was not easy journey. Um, I can tell you one thing that I love to tell people all the time that, you know, my journey to Stets, uh, I am successful because there's a lot of people who's pushing me. And when I look back at the number of hands that fed me, the number of minds that motivated me, and the number of people that wrapped their arms around me on my way to Stets, it's in, it, I cannot imagine the number of people who did that. I can imagine everyone who are, you know, uh, my seven aunts all had something to do with it. You know, I've lived at all of my uncle's houses. You know what I mean? I've, you know, I've I've lived off all my in-laws' houses, you know? So everything we had to do, folks did for me to get through steps. So it, it wasn't a single journey. And 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 when folks hear me so excited all the time about giving back and 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 mentoring, I, I love doing that simple because there were people who had to push me to get where I had to go. So my journey, it, it, it's a tough one, but yeah, I can tell you one thing. I would never in a hundred years regret the path I took to get to Stets and the things that I learned along the way. Because I think all of those steps, whether it's on the presser bus going to school or the times when, you know, my mother had to say that, okay, well, you have to tell Mr. Namah that on the presser bus that we can't pay the bus fee, you know, this month. They get the bus fee next month. Or she might said, you know, this week you won't we won't have enough to buy X amount of food for why I go to school this week at Talk Shop, right? I mean, all of those balancing act 
was special and those acts taught me a lot of things along the way great great so you know what i won't get you let you go any further without giving us a, a, a quick minute you know who mommy is to you you know because we already hear mommy coming in the picture the early mentor yeah. your early role model you know want to know that if mommy was probably like my mother who used to make drops and grit a cake or she own a little shop around the corner because i know it's always tight for them you know crunch time for them to really let you go to high school because you know i have a father who he didn't go to high school or even um, um, any further you know because mother had to choose who go out and who stay in and you know so could you just give us a little of the family background right there yeah so so i can tell you this um so my mother my mother my hero so my mom of 12 of us my brother and i my brother also went to stets um his name is mark Anthony. you know i i love to say he's the handsome one he's the handsome one with the muscles <laughs> and um and he's 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 my mother's favorite child right just know that you know i have nothing to do with it but my mom is special because he, he, he here's what happened in you know i remember you know when i was growing up my mom had to take care of us and when my mother first opportunity came along she got a chance to 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 go abroad and and in those early days and she, and she went to canada and I remember hearing the story that I had asthma and, and, and stutter and, and have a speech impediment. So, you know, with all measures, you know, I was not destined to be anything. If you look at all the calculation, if somebody who have asthma, they your stomach, right? And they nickname you Papa. So that is three negative. Asthma, you can't breathe. Stama, that means you have a speech impediment. They name your papa, which means poor. The only thing happened, the only thing destined for you to do is to fail. But my mother didn't believe in that. My mother definitely believed in that. I remember my mother was living in Canada and somebody said that for a short while and I got sick. And the lady didn't wait. The lady could have stayed there like everybody else and, and, and you know, trying to make her way. She packed her bag and come back home before anything, right? And come back home and for her for all her life she's always been a helper cleaning people how um living living helper staying in people taking care of their children so she could spit send her child to school right and and so my mother's everything to me and, and why she's so special to me to be honest with you is I, I can say this i remember when i got left stets and i got my first job i remember going to my mother she was still a helper when I finished that, my mother was still a helper working for somebody at the house. I remember going to her and said, that's it. You don't have to work anymore. When I got my first job, my first job at the States was at Workers Bank. And I said to her, you got to stop. Because my mother had to clean people's houses, make touch. You know, those touch mats. You guys are probably young guys and about those things. But those mats where people make, the fan you have to sell, make mats, sell them to other people, go sell them in Kingston. That's what they did for a living to send me to school. So, you know, so I know what she put into us. I know how hard she had to work. I know, I and, and, and I know that she was doing every possible thing. And that is why she means so much to me. So I can tell you this, I still have issues with her though. She lives with me now. The issue is she thinks she's my boss. And um, <laughs> she, don't, she don't realize, she still don't, what she don't get is that I, <laughs> I'm the one that owns the house, right? I pay the mortgage, I pay the bills, right? You know, since my mother moved, she never worked, but she think I report to her, and that's an issue, a different story. But um, but but I remember tell you one thing. 
my mom have been in the U.S. with me now for 20 plus years. Never had to work. And I said to myself, my mother is not going to go to coal, have to work anything because she has done enough for me throughout my life. So, you know, and and I can tell you, you know, folks folks who know me and, and, and know my dad, you know, my dad is have my name, Cecil Wright. And he's a good man. He's a good man. He did what dad did in those days. Go forth and multiply. Right? <laughs> Yeah, that's what he did he go for it and he multiply and 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 he has a lot of us and some of us are doing extremely well but i can tell you one thing for sure is that at the end of the day um where you have a strong mother and doesn't matter what situation might be if you just hold on if you just stay focused if you just keep on pumping in your child and and believe in them somewhere along the li- somewhere along the line they will get it all right thank you for that and and thank you for going so much in depth you know already we see nardia here whitey i'm so inspired by your story and that is very 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 good and that's the reason why we bring on people like you who have come up from grassroots and still been able with all the challenges you know you've been able to make it and i'm gonna dig deep into your story now because when we talk about challenges challenges get into school all that stuff but you just mentioned that you had asthma, you were spammer, and basically, them label you a label that I don't want to repeat it, you know. But obviously, with all of those, it it, it, it looked like for you to make it, you know, your why had to be greater than anybody else. I would like to know how you overcome that stammering, which I know stammering is, is serious. So, I want to know how you overcome that stammering, and what was your why that you had to make it? You know, you, you weren't gonna stop at anything, basically. I've seen yeah, your, your progress. Yeah, you know what? I think a couple of things. Um, I'll, I'll take the, the, the first part of it. You know, I stutter. I still do. I said I still have a speech impediment. And but here's what I know, Ian, is that I'm willing to work harder and longer than most people would ever imagine of. So when you're sleeping, I'm working, right? That's what you should know, right? When you are probably chilling and, and doing other things, I'm investing time and energy and even money into making myself better so for instance is that you know my speech impediment has been an issue all my life so how i overcome that i over prepare i'm always preparing i'm always reading more i'm always uh the more you read the better choices you have for words in case there's a word that's have uh, an issue with i change that word quickly because it might be difficult for me to pronounce but i think the early stage of my life where i started to to overcome some challenge I have was when I went to Stets. So when I went to Stets, for some reason, I was able, I remember I was in 7F, I think it was 7F, and 7F might be 7F, I'm in 7F, I went with a Spanish teacher. I don't remember her name, I think it was probably Miss Sanchez. If anybody's at the chat remember it, and they remember the t- Spanish name, might be Miss Sanchez was her name. I um, know there was a Miss Chung, it's not Miss Chung, Chung huh? I think uh, for for some reason I think it was her her name was Sanchez. Okay. But she asked a question and the question she asked was about cows. And um and I said cow called have an S on it. So that question about cow or cattle I should say. And somewhere along the line I gave the answer and she said to me, "Oh my god, you are so smart." To be honest with you, that was the first time I ever heard the word Cecil and smart in the same line. Because Growing up with a speech impediment that I had and, and all the challenges that I faced, um, I was the one that most people in my family was always concerned about in terms of health-wise and, and making sure that you stay healthy, but also making sure that folks don't take disadvantage of me. So I was always in this protective shell. 
But in terms of overcoming my challenges in terms of speaking is that I start getting small confidence by what people say to me. And then I look around me and I, and I would see people who from other neighborhoods who are going to a working in banks or other neighborhoods who are who are driving better cars or or, or medical doctors or, or or professors or other things and i always say to myself why can't i be like them and i remember growing up and said to to my to my mom you don't have to worry because i'm not gonna stop until i make you proud so my my why has always been not to compare myself but to know that there's a space out there that i can fill so i work as hard as i can just to make sure that i could overcome those things so you know so the speech thing you know is just preparing it's just being prepared working harder study longer really helped me with the way i i i speak and also helped me to overcome my fear of speaking Thank you very much. I'll just turn it over to Ian. I know he has some burning questions for you tonight, man. So be prepared. <laughs> All right, man. So we, I'm going to, you know, I'm still down there in St. Elizabeth right now. So I'm going to, you know, bring you back down. So, but this is a question from me. So, Dr. Wright, let the, let the fans know how much pair of shoes did you have when you was going to Stets? <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy question, man. Easy question. You have one pair of shoes all school year that you that you, that you have to wear. You understand? And, um, sneakers. I don't know about sneakers stuff. I remember my first pair of sneakers I got was when Doctor when JB uh, when Junior Bennett and Doctor Bennett would come and hand out sneakers. Um, and you know, so if you met the squad, you get a pair of shoes. You understand? That's the first pair of um, I think it was Puma at the time too that we had, and um, that was the first pair of sneakers I had. One pair of shoes. And to be honest with you, I remember my uncle who raised us, and, and this is a true story. He, he has a friend, a good friend of mine, still named Vijay, still as a mentor. And Vijay would come every Christmas with a big car trunk, right? And he would open the car trunk and he would go in the car trunk. If you got one pair of shoes, you just sell shoes. And that one pair of shoes you have, will, you have a Sunday shoes, you know, that you wear to school, where you wear to church on Sunday. You know that already. You, you normally, depending on the service, you walk out, you walk out the road first and you put it on. Okay, if you put it on for walk out of the road, it's still real bad. So you kind of put on. See, so sometimes you, you roll your pants foot up and you walk with your shoes in your hand till you reach out the road. And then you wash off your pipe and you put your socks back on now and you put it on your head up the road because you're straight. Now you look, now you still look sharp. But if you walk with your shoes, go all the way out, it'll get messy up. So you have the church shoes, you have the school shoes, right? And those are the two pair of shoes that you wear. And you know, all people talk about slippers and, and yard shoes. Whatever those things, you know, when you go tie goat out of man in time, you sometimes get a one little kasha maka, you have to come back and, and and take that out and keep moving. But you know, I it, it not having a pair of shoes growing up or multiple shoes didn't define who we were, didn't define what we want to be, didn't define our dreams. You know, I remember my cousin and I would uh, he would pay a cop and he's still there. What a top detective right on Jamaica. And we used to play cop and you know, I used to play banker and businessman and 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 read cowboy book. And I'm thinking about all the things that I'm doing now, how I taught and dreamt of those things when I was a boy growing up back in the days. All right, man. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for that. So I want to get into a little bit now. Um, I know we're probably gonna have some 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 of your old schoolmates. So just give us a shout out and call you know as much name as you possibly can some of your 
your your peers while you was in school that 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 you basically develop a brother and sisterly love um oh man i mean listen man there that that listen there, there's so much love and i i don't want to get myself in trouble i tell you one thing man that i have I have so much respect for for quite a few people man that I went to school with and you know I can I can r- rattle a few off in my head. Well, first of all, let's start with 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 my with my my love for the class of 1990. You know what I'm saying? Um we have all of from, you know, Belinda and Elaine and Ruddy and Conroy and you know and and you know Patrice and um, Nadine and Tani and, and you know Fiona and you know Kadeen and and you know you realize I'm calling a lot of female names but trust me there's a whole lot of guys you know talk about um, Kurt Dockery that passed away you know um, Lisa um, um, talk about you know um, folks like um, Stephen that that also passed away you know um, you know talking about you know a coach like JB. You know, so I've I have tons and tons of people, you know, Tanya, you know, Tanya Dormant, um, you know, a lot of people. And I'll be honest with you, now now in my in my older days, right, because we are you know, older people now, I go back and I look now and realize how treasured those friendships are and, and, and how much those folks now are still the same people you rub shoulders with back in the days. Are just right there in 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 your corner, just just, just supporting you. You know, um, I happen now to serve on the alumni board and the alumni executive board. You know, with you know Henry Roden. You know, and and even folks who I weren't so familiar with then, um, who I serve with now, is a really tight bond, man. This that thing is serious. It's 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 the next level stuff. All right, amen for that. So you know we can't leave out the principal and the educators, the teachers and all that. So we gotta give up. Let us know who was the principal while you was at Stetson. Um, you know, name a few of your teachers that 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 was an early, early, early positive influence um, for you while you was at Stetson. You know, um, you know, I, I left out one person at Stets. That one of the guys that always inspired me when I was at Stets, um, quietly, is Gary Samuel. So you guys know Gary, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. in those days, Gary was before my days. Prior to me, Gary I think it was like 88, 89 in those days, um, or a little before that. And Gary was, I think, student president uh, at the time, student body president. Um, and another guy also who give me a hard time back in the days to was Sylvester Earl. He's a pilot now. And, you know, and and Derry Brown, those guys, those are, those are, and if you play cricket, you know, you have the, the old crew, you have Ticks and you have yeah. Clive Legister and I were, were buddies back in those days, you know. So, you know, the, the crew run deep. Um, but in terms of educators, my principal was S.U. Watson, right? We call him Shaka Zulu. All right. right. That the man there's a real done. You understand me? Yeah. And then the man come on the Shaka system, you know, say, um, the first time Shaka was introduced, you know, there was a little bit of a description. The principal before, which I, um, before Shaka was a, was doing what he could. But when Shaka came, the first day Shaka come to the auditorium and walked inside the auditorium, everybody stood up in there and introduced him. His first word was, I'm going to shock you. you. Right, that was his word. So we call him Shaka Zulu. Um, but Mr. Watson, as an educator and a principal, was was um, has allowed the profile of Stets and and the academic 
portion of who we are discipline wise to raise to a next level so you know he said really set the stage for that for us and then the other principles that a couple of folks that really stood out to me was you know mrs samuda um so Linton, you know, the, the vice principal Rupert Linton, I consider him one of the greatest um, academias in the world. Um, he's a very studious man who have always spent a lot of time ensuring that the quality of the education that we got at Stets, also ensuring that overall on the academia, I, th I think Mr. Watson was a disciplined man, right? And I think Mr. Linton was the academia that held all of that together. So I think, you know, between those two at the head of the hem, really allowed us to um to really stabilize ourselves but you know I, I had a lot of great teachers man you know from you know some motor um i had a bunch of you know i don't remember listen this is come on man it's like 30 years ago i don't remember all the names now yeah, but, no, i understand, you know, I understand. <laughs> trust me <laughs> i understand you you definitely um you know you got a lot of um a past right there because i understand that um you know it's it's a long time so it's a long time yeah. so i'm gonna get a bonus question and um you know we're gonna come back and you let us know um you know what was your favorite subject at stets and why was that oh favorite subject at stets was probably mathematics my first at stets and um and mathematics and probably land survey you know in those days, we we're told that there was only two land surveyors across the entire country. So one of the things that we wanted to do was to become land surveyors. And that was a, a big dream, become a land surveyor. could always make money because land, you know, need to be surveyed. Um, but my, my favorite subject was mathematics. And actually, a group of us, I think, Ruddy and Miller, myself, probably, Conroy, Daly, and I think Elaine, Campbell, um, we took math and English from... 10th grade at the time early one year before we should have um because we wanted to to and not prove anything but want to get the pressure off the final year uh, and, and 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 then you know i think we got i think all of us got one or two in those subjects very early okay, okay. so um i know um i'm supposed to put you over the ian now but um i'm gonna ask you one more question because this one i don't want to forget it uh when you was at stets at the time what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I know a lot of people say things, and I, I'm curious to know what you'd want to be. With, you know what? Time. I've always still, you know, wanted to be one thing, and and which is crazy, gonna shock you. And this, I'm, I'm saying this, and publicly, probably second time in an interview the last couple of years. I've always wanted to be the prime minister of Jamaica. That's uh, it. Uh, Nothing else. That's always been my dream. And uh, I think my mother has talked me out of that <laughs> out of that dream. Um, so I'm going to probably, I, I tell her, you know, if you have to settle for two things, either prime minister, preacher, policeman, or professor. And I think the professional role might be where I might end up in academia. <laughs> um, but I, was, my, I always wanted to be, because what people don't know is that um, one of the first prime minister of Jamaica, which is Donald Sangster, his house actually where he grew up from, in back in those days you know he was prime minister for a short time um sangster his house is actually about two miles from my house there's a little house in the common where he grew up and the story goes you know how he became prime minister of jamaica and then he was poisoned after that um but i've always known and drive past there and i always say to folks why can't there be two prime ministers out of saint elizabeth so that was always always my dream i remember 
couple of years ago, um, Ian Bowen that passed away had reached out to me for an interview. And I he died before it happened. I were in the works of setting up that that interview with him. And one of the things that was fascinating was that trajectory of trying to make that your goal to get into into politics and see if there's a way out. So that was that was my dream to be, uh, you know. That's my uh, that's that, that was my focus. All right, Mr. Prime Minister, over to you, Ian. All right, Dr. Sister Wright. I don't know why you make your bio so long enough. So you know I'm gonna have to dig deep into it. And one part of your bio I cannot leave hanging at all is cricket. I, I I'm happy that Ian didn't dibble into the cricket side because I was like, man, you better hold your best than Ian. <laughs> so I'm happy you didn't get into uh, into the cricket question. So really, you know, I see where you did debate and you also take part in cricket. But mostly, I want to ask how that was balanced. But really, I want to ask you about your cricket at Tets and how did it all start? Well, um, I think when I was at Monesai Primary, um, first I played a little bit of cricket there, primary cricket. And then when I went to Stets, I tried out with Junior Bennett. At the time, the other guy with the school, most folks don't know, is Clive Legister, who is a coach uh, for the cricket at Stets for a couple of years well. We went to school together, Monsai Primary, and then we went to Santa Cruz, then we went to Stets together. And I think for me, when I started off in cricket, I went to try out as a medium bowler and a batsman. So I'm multifaceted. So I obviously... Clive was a pace bowler at the time. Tix was a left-hand spin bowler. We got Kurt Dockery. We got Ted Roy Jones um, at the time. And um, that's how you have my like staple was at Monroe in those days, right? So I went and I tried out and I and I made a team. So I actually played for Stets when I was, I think I, I wasn't, I was deputy head while I was playing in my second year because I played two years in a row. And, uh, you know, I, and I bought, you know, fifth in the lineup and start a couple of games. Competitive team, you know, I mean, really, you know, Stets is a top-notch school. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I remember when JB, when Stets actually, they picked the, the team to represent um, Jamaica. And a bunch of guys went, I was in Trinidad and, and I meet Lauren, Brian Lauren, they come back and I said, man, this is Batsman of Ace, man, is vicious, right? So I played that same era when staple and all those guys went over and started to play with, with Lara. But um so yeah I you know I, I played I was on the team played a couple of matches well um don't ask me about my 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 scores um not, not touch the stats <laughs> no 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 not no stats you understand me but I, I normally here's the issue with me I, I normally get in obviously making 15 20 runs a game you know that's that's normally I didn't have a big score but I think for me is that when I didn't get to go to Monroe, I remember going to Monroe particularly. I remember that game like nothing. I want JB to tell me that um, I was I was on a good trajectory, you know, playing well through practice. He said, you're in the lineup for this game. You're going to bat like number five or number four in the lineup, moving up lineup, right? In the game. And went to Monroe and we're in trouble early. So, and I, I, I can't, I, I remember it. And I remember the, the, uh, a medium pace bowler come down and uh, looking nice. And when the man come down a couple of times, well, made us look really pretty. Maybe like pretty, you know, like just <laughs> pull him down. You understand me? Just line him or hold him down. And, you know, from about four balls straight, 
just kind of okay calm yourself down one at a time I remember about the I think I faced like four balls, but I remember one of them was a, was a, after I kind of looked pretty pretty a couple of times and said chill out. I remember he dropped something short and I went up and pull it and I, and I eased back right. And next time him come back, I went pretty again. And the man him say LBW. So the Monroe uh-huh. match with the zero that Monroe match, I'm gonna never forget it. I <laughs> I don't I, I, that that match until now I'm still sorry about that match because I looked good the entire game. You know, um, I've, you know, and I think that I face about, that's my shortest game ever. Face about four balls and end up playing zero. But uh, but I love cricket, man. But I've always also played for my community cricket. Uh, whether it's Bruceville or Barbara Hall or even when I came to the U.S. here, I used to play for a team in the Bronx named Kings for a little bit. And, but again, you know, because of my academic focus and trying to survive, balance life, I kind of put the cricket aside, but I can say what a good Batman, trust me. All right. So, you know, you being an educator, you know, you basically, uh, you speak highly of yourself and others. You know, we have seen your accomplishment. You know, we see the journey. But, you know, who I'm going to have you speak a little bit about is Junior Bennett, Coach Junior Bennett. What Junior Bennett means to St. Elizabeth Technical. I know what he means to me. But for you, could you tell me, you know, in terms of an early man in a mentor early how do you see coach junior bennett and and he as an asset there at states during that time well you know what i i for me you know i junior is one of the gentlemen who goes down who you revered in many ways right and if you if you if you if you think about jb and what jb has done not only women you know because he, here's what happened in a lot of folks associate personal winning with success right and those two never normally go well together there are a lot of folks who win and are successful at least but those those things are don't last long because they haven't really developed success and success is really how you pass on a set of set of skills that other people can go forward and i think what jb does is that jb is that person you know i remember i remember the same model match i remember when i play that match and i come back and i sit down with JB on the bench. And I told a story before, and JB, remember the story. I sit down JB, and JB's a very quiet man. I remember, you just play zero. You've been, you know, you have been batting in practice for the last three weeks really well, scoring, you know, 20s and 30s, man. Move you up in the lineup, you get a good start. And you go out there, and I try to play pretty, right? Um, you know, it's a player pretty. And you could have a couple of balls where I could have drive, you know. I, I really could have, could have, you know, really go for the shot, but I just try to get myself, my nerve out. And I come back on the bench and JB said to me, the game is not about, de- cricket is not about defense. It's about, it's about offense. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, you can stay up there, look pretty all day. It's not about how pretty you look. <laughs> you could look pretty and play zero. You could play 20 balls. Your job is to go out there behind the offense. And those who are on the offense always do well. So one thing JB did, he, he, he instilled in you a very quiet confidence. I don't know. I can tell you, Ian, you never hear JB raise his voice yet. You not hear JB raise his voice. Yeah, true about that, true. Yeah, JB never raises his voice. So JB, J, JB is this gentle giant that comes with wisdom and courage and motivates you and tell you that, listen, you know, it's okay. Here's what I want you to do. And he's a coach and, and he's a player's coach. Okay, he's going to be with you. And 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 here's, here's one thing I like about JB. Not because you do well, doesn't give you a free ride to slack up in other areas. 
So there was no free pass for you because, you know, you score 100 or you score 75 or, you know, there's no favorite when it comes to JB. It's about discipline. It's about having a set of values that he's going to live by and hold you accountable to operate in that unit, right? And I think for me, that was a lot of nurturing. A lot of the, the team asset I learned came out of JB camp. And also Dr. Bennett. When I go to Jamaica now, and Dr. Bennett have an office down in Black River, right? And if I go, I can tell you right now, if I fly down go, and, go, and go, go to Jamaica and take one of the boats to go up the river, and it's, and I, and it's Dr. Bennett's boat, or he's in the office, and I pop in. As I walk in, you know, it's like, hey, that's what's going on. Because those gentlemen have always instilled so much value into not only having you succeed as an athlete, but having you succeed as a person. And that's why I think JV, early mentoring and coaching and leading and, and pushing and just gentle nudge to be a better person is so important to Stets. So here's what I say, I'm gonna end with this and JB, is that I think Stets on a whole and everyone who passed through Stets should understand that the fundamentals about winning has to come with where you deal with people of integrity. And JB has been one of those persons who have been a very, you know, integrous man throughout his entire life at Stets. And if you look at all of the caliber, not only players, but the caliber people that come out of JB camp, cricketers that I know that come out of JB camp, he's revered. If you have an event anywhere in the world, you say JB is showing up. Every cricketer that's available that went to Stets will show up. There's every one of us have a lot to say about how JB have influenced our, us as a person. All right. So with that, I just want to say something on that note. You know, I'm going to put back this that Mr. Henry said on the screen. JB is a real boss. And why I leave that up, you know, I'm going to speak a little bit about JB and myself. I remember back at States, you know, as a young youth, you know, most time when you're young and you're not sure of, of the direction you really want to go as yet. And there's so much distraction. And many of us here, we can say, ladies, are the girls always be a distraction especially when you take part in a sports at states you know and i would remember jb would sit and say to me say talpies yes. you see them girls you look over the fence and i look in and <laughs> <laughs> say guess what i'm telling you you know you don't even worry about them out there got the same girls them here if you don't take your education serious are this game serious when you leave Stets, you know, you leave with nothing. The same girl is going to move on where the pastor is greener. We all understand mm -hmm. what that means, you know. And he, he always pushed me, get your education and everything there. Another thing I say about the man, he's not biased. No star is in that, that Stets team. No. Nope. Simple mean, I've been at Stets and we had about five guys that went and represent Jamaica. From the Stets team, while they mm -hmm. were away, we were still winning. Mm-hmm. They went away and they came back the week that they came back they came early so school was still going and all they're drawing around is their big jamaica bag and wearing them jamaican thing no training for that couple days and jb was just looking in and said okay i don't think no star in this no JB. start <laughs> yeah when they come out now man jb said guess what we're winning without you guys and we're still gonna continue winning and they, they he didn't play them <laughs> yep yeah and guess what he didn't have to say another word. Next training session, everybody was there. Mm -hmm. You know, so that tells you the type of person he is. No star play in his cricketing. And right now, so that shows you how much he means to me. Right now, yes. I'm wearing a JB hat. It's a JB logo. If you look on it, and I'm going to show you something. 
JB Tiger, the brand is out. JB hat, JB shirt, and if a youngster need a whole cricket gear, it's in JB's name. All right. If a man want hold up, but no. Guess what? The great oh, man have him own cricket bat. And that tell you how much he mean to me that I'll definitely go through and create a whole line. Respect, respect. A product in respect and appreciation for JB. And I, and I said to him, JB, anything that I sell, a part will go back to you. And a part will go to a youth who have struggled to make it to states. I just struggle with them, even a community to go. I know how much they have done even to get people to come up by the house up, you know, up the hill there. Mm -hmm. but up there so even though in a female apartment that JB gets to stay, sometimes you see a cricket asleep overnight. You know. Mm -hmm. So I've seen how much he have given to Spitz. And I believe that he needs to be honored in a different way. So that's what he really means to me, Ian Thomas. And I say to this, you know, he's like a father when I'm away from my, my, my parents, you know. Right. Because I boarded at, at Stets and really JB is a big part of my upbringing. You know, everything that I've achieved, I remember those grassroots uh, and that Stets field. Ian have Stets, part of Stets um, in the background here, which, you know, I'm proud of Stets and I'm proud of JB. So I'm just going to turn it back over to Ian with that note. <clears throat> All right. Well, I just want to say my, my, um, well, I just want to just say maximum respect also to Mr. Junior Bennett, JB. Um, as I said, I have the privilege to go to Stets during a period that I probably worked with four or five of the best coaches um, in Jamaica that really mentor, you know, really and truly um, you know, everybody know, you know, I'm from Montego Bay. The, the first time my parents dropped me off, um, I, I, you know, they never come back. <laughs> 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 you know, and, you know, um, never come back. Um, you know, my father never seen me run before. You know, um, he, the, the, he heard me, my name on the radio. And, wow. and that, that's as far as it is. But he did he did support me. He did pay my, my boarding fee. Give him <laughs> some credit, you know. He made sure the boarding fee was paid for the for the four years. Um, you know, so you know, but as I said, I want to give a shout out to JB because um, you know, he was I've liked the unity at Stets at the time. If you misbehave over here in football, don't think that you could run over there on the cricket and think mm -hmm. that you're gonna get away. <laughs> You know, you know so, and, and it's the same thing for track. You know, it, it's it was a unity amongst the coaches that I never seen in my life. You know that, right? You know, our department could work together. You know, with Mr. Watson. You know, and 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 and, and we all know that um, Mr. Watson is 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 is. We already know that he like to get what he want done. You know, um, you know, he's the man in charge and he's going to let you know that he's the man in charge. So let's just move along now. Um, just going to ask you one more, probably one more question about Stets. Um, just let us know um, when you graduate from Stets, uh, let us know your accomplishment, um, you know, 
what did you um you know what subject did you sit and what was the results and 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 what what are the years did you go to states what tell us the years you went to states so i want to say 85 um 85 or 86 you know but i finished i left that's 1990. Okay. so if you're going back it's, it's five years seven yeah, yeah. Eight so to five. I, eight to five. So what's this? Eight to five. And I finished 1990. During my time in Stets, I was captain of the school debate team. I played cricket. I also, you know, was deputy head boy, famously known as Heady. Um, nickname in the year, but judge at lunchtime means that I don't mess with food. I don't like to be hungry. And when lunchtime comes, don't talk to me. It's time to have my lunch. And after I eat, you can have a conversation. Um, but that was my thing at Stets. So I when I left Stets, I took math and English early, mentioned that to you before, and got those grade one and grade two. And I think if I can remember, I took math, English, land survey, geo, um, chemistry, physics. Took eight subjects. I have all eight subjects to get Stets. And they weren't all ones. There's a couple of twos in there, but that was really what I did. And after I left Stets, Directly after I left Stets, I applied for a job at Workers Bank, Workers Saving and Loan Bank at the time in Mandeville, <clears throat> and I got the job there and became a bank teller. So that was how you know directly out of Stets, I just went. I probably the results probably come out like in July for the exams, and once the results were out, I went in for the interview, met this you know this this bank manager. Somebody referred me to her went up there, interviewed, and she said, you can start working tomorrow. So, you know, Stets really, really had kind of prepared me and being the depth of head boy at the time, uh, you know, give me a, an edge up. And I don't even remember going to resume. I think all I remember going for that interview was my subjects and a letter from Mr. Watson <laughs> that you graduated and a reference. And I went up there and they gave him the job. So. All right, all right. Awesome, awesome. So during the years at Stets, what were what was i want to say secret but not not it's not a secret but what was so what would what would you say were your secret to success to be so successful um while you was at stets you know you know i think for me it was it, it was a group of us yeah i think there was a friendly competition among the head boy franz johnson Myself, Roddy and Miller, Conrad Daly, Elaine, Belinda, um, Leota Gale. Uh, there's a friendly competition. The competition was so much. So that's why we even took math and English early, you know, because, and, and I still have a France, and France know this publicly and privately that he caused some serious issues. So France, I mean, France was the, was the physics guy. And so when we get exams at Stets, if you get more in math or land survey than I, right math was really thing Lance, i mean geo was my thing if you get more on a geo test than me i'm gonna talk to you for this <laughs> i'm a friend dogs don't talk to me because you're not supposed to get hired at me so i think the secret for success for us was was a strong networking we wanted to to compete we wanted to be to be to be the be the best and i think that coupled with the fact that uh you know we had a few people around us that was pushing us we had a few teachers that was really really hard on us I think that kind of drive and passion, you know, really propels us. And then the other thing also, too, beside the strong competition, I think, uh, you know, for the guys, them, 
you know, we always believe when you had stats in those days, if you're smarter, the girls will like you more. Right? And yeah. if you're a cricketer, and you're, and you're, and you're, 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 you're a sportsman like Olympian Ian who can blaze through the, out of the block, <laughs> you understand me? You figure that in those days that if either you're going to be a top athlete or a top acad academia in school. So that was my thing is that I couldn't, after I realized I couldn't compete at the academy, at the, at the athletic level, I turned my attention to the books and like, you know what, I'm going to try to stay on this trajectory. So that kind of wanting the attention to be one of the top students, I think also in those days helps to, help, help to um, influence or spur you know your your passion to succeed all right so that leads me to another question that really going to continue on the previous question so we know that you was a good student smart you know you already know that you was doing well from you know first form second form third form fourth form what what did you do different tell us now what were you do different to say that I want to get ahead of the other kids. Um, I I think again it's just it's just it's just it's just competing. So I didn't do well in my fir in 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 first form, second form, and third form. Don't get me wrong, I didn't do well. So let me go back. So in my first year in Stets, um, and I sure I'll be careful. So I want to tell, we'll, we'll watch this and check the records. I, I probably in the first class, I think I probably came about 15 or the 21 15 15 or the 21 so remember you have first place second place third place fourth fifth six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve 15 i came in the first year at stats and i remember i go, going home and they said this wasn't good enough because i'm up here for school fee and the buckle torch and everybody are complaining and start buckled down and i went from that from that i remember from that first form at Stets. After that, by the time I got to ninth grade, I became like a prefect or something like that. I was like second in my class in two years later. And after that, I don't think I ever came anywhere. I was always in the top, at least the top four or five students in the school throughout my time. But, you know, so for me, it was more, how do I get better? It's just, it's just trying to work harder, you know, just trying to know that I don't have all the answers, but if I want to work hard, I can figure some things out. What I really was asking you, did you, did you do extra studies at school, at home, um, you know? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. How did sorry, you, sorry. Yeah. Um, mostly, mostly at home, mostly at home, mostly at home, and mostly at home. I, I think so most of my extra the time, At the time, did your mom give you enough light? Because I know when I was bored and the light got to turn off at a certain time. So. No, no <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have a light issue because when I was at Stets in my early days, to be honest, with, up until about ninth grade, I was still traveling on the bus going back home. And it, and it was still back to church. It was still home sweet home. So you, you just stay up late and you just turn your, your, your lamp up and you work. You understand me? And again, I just never like when I come. I never just didn't like to be in a position where all of a sudden, you know, you're 15 or 21 in the class. So just extra work and going home with a family who knows that if you don't get smarter, you're going to be selling some cows and you're going to be weeding grass with somebody else. You know, so that was like, you got to do better, you know? All right. Thank you. Over to you, Ian. 
Okay, Dr. Sissel. This question is going to come to you from your own book, your own page, your own literature. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, but your, your, your motto, man, your motto, failure is not an option. Tell us what that means. Yeah, and, you know, you know, for me is this. So I believe strong. So if you know, for folks who know me well know that I am very, very, very spiritual. Not really just more spiritual, right? I strongly believe that there is a calling and a destiny for each man. And the only way you can get to that call and destiny is to understand that the only, the one time that we should have failed and happen. You know, um, from a spiritual standpoint, being a Christian, you hear that Christ came and died in Christmas season and, you know, he died for us and he's risen. So that one failure, that one death caused us, caused me to realize that there's no need, there's no failure in my book. What I like to say is that all of my journeys have always been help have always been a path to a new direction. So even though I may have a temporary setback, it's not a failure because I'm learning something from it, right? And I think what happens to most people sometimes, they, they tend to get to a roadblock and when the road is blocked, they believe they fail. So it's not an option for me. You know, when I start making plans and dreams and vision, I don't put failure as one of the outcome. It's not an outcome. It might be a temporary stop if something didn't go my way, but it's not an option for me because I believe that even if this doesn't end the way it should end, that God is going to open the door for something else on the other side to work out better than I thought. So that's why my motto is that it's not an option. And 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 I guess Ian, the reason why, the reason I focus on using that, because if I put it as not an option, I'm going to work harder and longer to make sure I don't disappoint myself. And so I've always lived that mother. Failure is not an option for me. It's just that if there's if something comes in the, along the pathway that stops the journey, I should be able to redivert. I should be able to redirect. I should be able to um, to to couple up and move in a different direction. But don't use that one thing. You know, a lot of us have visions and dream. And what happened to us is that the first thing that comes in the way, the first obstacle that comes in the way, we think we fail. But sometimes that obstacle is only come to make us stronger, to make us bolder, to make us bigger, for us to press harder, for us to be more ingenious and find better ways to do things. And I don't un and so so that's why I've always never I've always lived with that motto that I it's not an option for me. And it's it it might redirect my plans, but it's not an option for me. All right. So uh, uh, English was my, my, my poorest subject in school. I, I'll let people know that, you know. I never do good at in English. I was this shy guy, you know, don't love to talk or anything. So it's surprising to have me on here even asking you questions. But anyway, I'm going to read from the side here. You know, if I put it on, it may just cover you up. So I'm going to read it out. <laughs> okay. And this is from Sherman Brown. It's, uh, and, and this is a strong statement, okay? It okay. said, Dr. Sister Wright is a game-changing educator who has profoundly transformed the lives of thousands of students and educators nationally and internationally. His story and his impact continues to leave an indelible mark on the lives of those who hear his message. I just want to say, man, that is a powerful statement in itself. So I want you to 
talk over that and also i'm taking you outside of states now where you have been an educator a mentor doing motivational speech traveling the world from the caribbean you mentioned earlier you end up even in africa could you tell us about these mission man and your, your impact out there well you know i i i tend not to talk about my impact that much yeah and it's more it's more just my living right because uh it, it's it's i'm you know it's hard to talk about me and 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 to kind of brag about things that that i might have accomplished but i would say this i would say that i would say two things all of those things probably is highly spoken of me but i think what i'm most proud about is the fact that i really focus on doing good and living well right doing good and living well and the reason i say that is because as as a young man who didn't have everything i should have had in place there's a lot of people have who have supported me who have guided and have influenced me to pursue education as a path out and i say this to myself there's a lot of things they can take from us in right folks can take away they can talk about color of skin folks can talk about a lot of things they could they could tell your car take over your house but once you have a level of understanding how to deal with people how to help people how to understand it's not only about you but having others to do better somewhere along in when you're trying to help others there's someone there's an energy there's a supreme being behind you who's helping you to move forward i spend most of my time to be honest with you either mentoring teaching giving back or volunteering and you know i love to tell my folks all the time i don't worry about what tomorrow holds because i believe that i should do so much good that when my kids and my grandkids go to a door and walk up it should just open when they go places and said oh i am cecil's daughter or you know or cecil's my dad or my son goes somewhere and said hey cecil's my dad the door should just open so for me it's it's do good and over the last 20 years i have had mentoring programs i started one of the biggest mentoring program in new york city so we every year for the last 10 years i've had over 100 mentors from all across the country talking about doctors lawyers professors you know teachers policemen athletes come together in one large room and the idea for that is to bring these people in there to do one thing is to tell their story tell their story and when they get together i bring in hundreds of kids from all across new york city to sit with them and those guys they're not there to talk about their degrees or the car they drive or the house they have or the money they have they're there for one reason tell this kid where you started tell the kid about your journey and how you got there tell this kid you failed that's why and i tell people all the time i have a severe speech impediment i know i have asthma i can tell folks my mom is a clean people house that's my past i tell people all the things i had to do to get to where I'm at because if young men and women can hear our stories they won't believe it happened overnight so when i came to new york in many years ago i drove cabs in new york for 12 years straight the first time to drive cabs in new york to pay for school so here am i getting my associate degree my bachelor's degree my master's degree driving cabs in new york at 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 boston or bethesda avenue Roman tone car service driving cabs to pay for school. So the whole idea is is so you do what you need to do to get where you need to go and I knew that if I could finish school and earn my degree. So when I go places now, 
to talk about my accomplishment or my influence being an educator. So I've I've been, you know, I've taught at a college level, at, at both at the baccalaureate level, I've taught at the master's level, at the college level, taught at different institutions. I've been a dean before, I've been an executive director before, I've written books, but it didn't happen overnight. What it, How it happened, it happened by me is keep on working, keep on pushing, and don't forget the people who help you to get there. I'm super loyal, and I know it's not a good thing. I'm a super loyalist to the folks who've always supported me. And I believe that if people support you, your jobs are paid forward. And that's why I have this mentoring program. That's why I do one-on-one mentoring. That's why when I, you know, when I travel to Africa, you know, three times in the last, two times in the last five years, it's not only because I'm going on and and spiritual mission trip. I'm going there to help build schools. When I travel to Puerto Rico, you know, we've been to a huge church in Puerto Rico, St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands. Everywhere we go, it's about giving back because I believe that lots of people had to have an influence in order to, for me to be successful. So the whole idea, you know, I it's it's just give back, just do well. If where you can in and in, if you can into your community, out of your reach, if you can continue to just give back and influence people, sooner or later, your cup would have so much, you never have to worry about what you have if you just keep on giving back. Amen. All right, Dr. Wright, I, I just want to show this book here, and I, I don't know how it is shown from my side, but on this book, everybody will see that it, it, it's, it's, it's your picture. And yes. I'm, <laughs> I have a copy here too. Yeah, 21 Days to Freedom, the American Dream by Dr. D. Wright. I'm going to ask, you know, your thing is, you have run into the whole race ahead of me getting into new york and you know i just want to say thanks to you for putting forth this book of inspiration you know this book i've read the book and it's a day it could take a day to read this book and it all depends on how fast you want to go through it my daughter would have read along with me you know i read and she say some stuff and follow along but the book had really touched me in terms of your journey you know, so I don't know if you want to touch from the book or you just want to tell us. How did you end up in New York now? A little kid from Brucefield. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we should start to Canada first. <laughs> yes. He said New York in it, and he got to New York, but you have to tell us how he get there. So, and right, I'm, right. So that's why I'm asking him the journeys. How did you get into New York, no, the little guy from Brucefield, St. Elizabeth Technical High School, into the banking world, starting, you know, educating um, kids from an early stage. Now you're in New York having symposium and male empowerment and all that stuff. How, how did you get into New York? <laughs> you know, it's funny. So I was working at Worker, Workers' Bank, and um, in those days, you understand that everyone wants to come abroad. You know what I mean? You, if you, everybody believe. I honestly believe that if you come, you know, if you get to the U.S., the streets are paved with gold. And I remember my one of my buddy and one of my best friend, two good guys in the bank too. Um, um, you guys don't know them probably. Donovan Simit. You know, I remember Donovan and I, used to, I had transferred from Mandeville to Black River. And I remember saying to Donovan, 
we're working together and said today i think i'm gonna go to the embassy and try to get a visa and you know spend some time and um but the reality was that that's not it how i actually came to the u.s when i got to when i went to the embassy to u.s embassy and i applied that i didn't get a visa they said no and i didn't have the the land and the host and everything to support you they think you're gonna you're gonna go away so i went to the canadian embassy i went to canadian embassy the lady said the same thing she said no i'm sorry um can't give the visa and i was coming out very dejected my face was was down and a lady just walked up to me and she said what happened oh lady and i said let us turn me down she said you're such a nice young man why would i turn you down i said they turned me down she said i don't have um I'm, I'm going to tell her, I'm going to my aunt in Canada. She said I don't have enough money. In my I don't have anything. They stamp it denied. Then ask me a question. She said no, 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 no. She can't do that. I've been living in Canada for 62 years. She said to me, and I just come to get some stuff. She's Jamaican to stop some stuff. Take care of the embassy. That's my little nephew over there. He's coming up with me. They can't tell you that. Come back with me. Stay right here. When I go up back there to the window, I bring your passport back to her. The lady went up. Ian never met her before my lab before never seen her went up with my passport and said you cannot you have to give him the visa also he's gonna come stay with me i've been living in canada for six or something years i want to bring them up to, to so they can see what canada look like they took my passport and they said to me come back like they said come back in like two days i'm like this is like a miracle so i went back to the bank and i said to ginger ginger called at the time is um and i said ginger you know that tell the story and said you know that these guys said I must come back in two days for the passport they started laughing i said yeah so i was at the bank the phone rang at the time the bank manager mr curry answered the phone and said cecil there's a call from the embassy for you answer the call they said come back in two days and i'm gonna believe it you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go up there pick up the envelope they give me they stamped the passport and gave me six months in Canada. So that was it. So I, I took it now, I went to Canada. So when I went to Canada, same time I went to Canada, my girlfriend at the time had moved to New York. So she's in New York and I'm in Canada. And I'm like, okay, well, if she's in New York, I'm in Canada, I'm gonna go to New York. So I remember right now, resignation letter, those are the days in the banking system in Jamaica, I'm not sure if it's still the way it is, you could take what's called a leave of absent. You could be off for a couple of months, like six months or so forth so i wrote a letter to my friend ginger and said ginger hear this you keep this letter when i get to canada if i get to the us you can hand this letter in so you hold on to the letter right so left the letter went to canada i was in canada spoke to my girlfriend in new york and said listen i want to get here she said i don't know how i'm gonna do that whatever it is and this is where my dad came through i called my dad he worked something out they get me across the border, some guy in into Detroit. Once I got into Detroit, I then took a Greyhound bus straight to Manhattan. So here my in Manhattan, this was probably, I don't know what time it was in Manhattan, you know, exactly in terms of night or day. But I remember coming off the bus in Manhattan, when I got off the bus in Manhattan, I standing outside. Um, I remember going to buy a little coin. You're dropping the, um, those uh, turnstile. Because I was supposed to take the the bus, the the train to 241st Street and White Plains Road. I remember that. So I buy the token, drop the token in there, 
And I remember saying, oh, I forget to call Ginger. I remember I went back, get some quarters, called Ginger the bank, collect, and said, mm-hmm. Ginger, I'm calling you from 34th Street in, in, in Manhattan. <laughs> he said, stop playing system. I said, no, I'm serious. And I said, you can handle it or in. He said, what? I said, I'm not coming back. I said, can't handle that in. He said, Cecil, stop playing. I said, no, I'm good. I told you, I said, if I get here, I'm going to make it. I said, don't worry about it. Just hand the letter in. So I hand the letter in and 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 that was it. And, you know, so I actually, that's how I actually got to New York. And, you know, from there, the rest is history. All right, Dr. Cecil, you know, I'm going to encourage people to get this book, you know, because anybody read the book may have question for you. But I'm going to ask you a question out of your own book. I'm sure. going to read just a part that I, I... Is it okay, sir? Yeah, absolutely. 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 So, right, and, and again, anyone anyone who want to go ahead and get my book is on Amazon. You know, so if you... If, if it's on Amazon, if you go, just, just type up 21 Days of Freedom. It's right there. It's an easy read. It's something you can read in probably, as Ian said, in an hour, in, a, in, a, in less than a day, a couple of hours, you'll be finished breezing through it. But go ahead. And uh, not just 21 Days to freedom you know the american dream i like that part of it right all right so inside that book again i'm not the best person with reading but i have scratched some line and uh, i don't know if you guys can see but you know it didn't highlight it i just used a little pencil that i had and right put some line through it and just a little paragraph here i, I take out and I'll, I'll read it. it said they had the wrong suspects 98 percent of the people are the teens that I met had families and had come here with good intentions. All they were trying to do was to change their status. However, rather than considering that an act of good measure to be productive citizens, it was used as a, as a tool to detain decent people. And in the process, families were destroyed. What do you mean right here? Well, well, the, the story about 21 Days to Freedom, which is which is the book, was so everyone know if you come here illegal, it's you are wrong. You broke the law. If you broke the law in every jurisdiction, there is a, a penalty for the law. Right. And so I was detained. I was detained for 21 days when I got here. So here in the U.S., I had, had my my bachelor's degree. And, and I was in my master's degree. I was married. You know, my my had my at the time my two beautiful daughters and my wife were doing well. And then I was home one day and there's knock on my door and this was immigration. They came and scooped me up and they was like, okay, well you're here, your status didn't change, and you know you're here illegal. So they locked me for 21 days. So he had somebody for 21 days. So I've never brought the law. I had a bachelor's degree at the time. I had my master's degree at the time, my final semester master's degree. And so I'm detained. So here my New Jersey detention center sitting there uh, for day one, day two, day three, and all the way up. And somewhere about the fourth day I was there, I said to myself, I wonder if I'm here for a reason. So I started to interview other people. I started to interview everyone. So I get loose papers. I was walking around interviewing people. So at the end, I had about 135 pages of handwritten notes of all the other detainees. And at the time, keep in mind, in just in my block alone, about 37 men was in there. It was a huge detention center. Hundreds of people were in there. And I had the information of all these guys. 
And the reason I wrote that particular thing there, because all the guys I interviewed in there, these guys are guys who came here just to make a difference. These guys didn't come here because they're illegal or uh, come here because they're criminals. They came here because this is the land of the free. And there's something wrong. If you look at our immigration system, the way it's set up is that for, for students who have the money to come as international students, and most of those students happen to come from Northern Europe, other places, when they get here and get to the U.S., they come in as F1 visa, as international student, B1 visa, international student. And they come here and they run off and they stay. And they can spend time and they can um, stay in school and convert their visas. But a guy who come from, you know, what call it, you know, from, from the South, from the Triangle, from Mexico or from Honduras or other places, when those guys come here from South America, when they come to South America and come across the border, they're also illegal, but they don't have the same privilege. I can tell you, I interview guys when my 21 days are detained who were medical doctors, who um, who were professors, who were guests, who own gas station, um, who were honest, hardworking guys. And all they wanted was just to be free in America. And what the system does is that they're easy prey because they have a family, you know where they live, you know where they work. So they become easy prey. So that was a challenge. So that's why I wrote this is that all we wanted was a chance just to be free in America so we could go ahead and impact the world and change the world. And and so it was a difficult time because I felt that what was happening is that the immigration system was simply using all the tools that they had at their disposal to find decent men who were just trying to save their families and detain those men. All right. <clears throat> so I'm going to go in the book a little bit more. And people, I'm not going to take nothing else out of the book. So you want to have this book, you go buy this book. But another part that touched me, and the reason why this touched me is because I have kids. I have two little girls. All right. And inside of your book, you said, all right, what should I tell my daughter? What excuse I give her as to why I am not waking up with her on her birthday, basically, right? Should I tell her that I was detained because of the government failed to send me a notice to appear in court? Should I wait until she is 18 years old to explain the hypocrisy of the American immigration laws to her? Or should I tell her that her daddy might be deported in two weeks? Then that's a question. I did not know where others might stand on my decision but I had to lie. I called her on the morning of her birthday, Madison. I said, I am sorry, but I will not make it home. I am on a very important business trip. I promise that as soon as this business is over, I will be home. She said, okay, daddy. She replied, I love you. I said, I quickly hung up the phone and broke down in tears. Explain that part. Um, that that for me was um was was probably my toughest day. Well, I mean, there were there were there were there were many tough days, uh, many tough days. But that was my at that time. My daughter was just about eight years old, and um, and I remember specifically that it was January second. They had just. They had picked me up 
December 26th after Christmas, the Baxton Day, the Baxton Day, the morning of Baxton Day. Christmas had just passed. It's about 26, and um, and her birthday had come, and I I remember doing all the stuff, the legal stuff that went through the system, and, and you know my wife running around being a U.S. citizen trying to figure out what's going on with me, where they where I'm held. And when her birthday came, it was tough because I had to make a decision. So one of the things that I'm very, very big on is my family values. So I don't miss Sunday dinners at all. I just don't do it. That's why I tell Ian, I couldn't interview at six o'clock. It's dinner time on a Sunday. There's something that's just important that my family sit together. And one of the things I don't do, I don't miss my kid's birthday because I've never had a birthday till my wife gave me one. So I don't, there's some things I just don't miss. And I started from very early. So I was gonna miss my daughter's birthday and didn't want to tell her. So I remember calling her and it was tough because I had to make a decision. If I tell my daughter that, you know, I'm detained, I don't know how she's gonna take it. If I tell my daughter, um, you know, that I might not come home, I might be deported back to Jamaica, and I was gonna take it. So I, in that moment, I made a decision and said, the best thing I'm gonna say to her, I'm gonna tell her that I'm on a very important business trip. And when it's over, I'm going to come home. So that that book you're actually reading is funny because that book was not meant to be sold. The 21 Days of Freedom, the American Dream was not meant to be sold. I wrote it as a as a documentary of my journey here because too often we don't tell our stories to our kids. Too often our history is lost. Our history is misplaced and misinformed. So I wanted to document something. So if one of my daughter's kid grow up 10, 15, 20, 30 years, 100 years from now and end up being the president of the United States of America or end up being the mayor or, 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 or become known in any field, they can understand where the history came from, that their grandfather or their great-great-grandfather did this. So I wrote the book not to sell it, but to keep it as a story so people have it to read. So that was meant. That's why there's so much personal little stories in the book really about my life because it was meant to be a historical part of my journey but that that particular part you read there Ian was one of the toughest day in my life and I, honestly as you're reading it to me again uh and I've I've read this book several times myself um that part always always touched me because it's it's I remember I'm going through the whole emotions of sitting there and determine on January 4th what this phone call is going to be, what I'm going to say to her. Well, just want to say to you, it, it touched me and, and I read in the book and I, I basically was like, I'm living your, your your life, you know, the fact that I have kids and, you know, how does daddy communicate this message to that child? It, it, it is challenging. How does daddy who don't want to lie have to lie in terms of, you know, making the best decision from behind behind closed doors basically behind bars <laughs> behind bars yeah i didn't want to go <laughs> but you know to, to be there you know but what what i love is that the way that you were able to document other story and they were willing to share with you so actually they saw you as a leader there so i could see you know where you had stand out among those um guys that was detained there with you too and you had captured some very interesting stories you know as i as i read um, the entire book. So. Well, you know, and it's, it's a lot more stories than that, to be honest with you. So I captured a story <laughs> for 37 men that would have give that would have made that book 
um, just a quarter of that book. And that book could have been 200 pages easy. But <laughs> it's funny. So I am there and they realize that I'm interviewing men. And they came and removed me from the general population, put me in a single cell. And took all of my all of my my writings from me. So I was what's called the shoe. They put me in the shoe. So I was separated and put in a cell separately just because I was interviewing other men. So there's a lot more stories. And and I wish, and the reason why that book ended up being so short, I didn't want to, I just wanted to, so after they took those pages from me, a hundred pages from me, and I was in the shoe for two days because of my asthma and I had some constipation issue, they moved me out back in the general population. And I and then I went and get some some paper that didn't have the the detention name on it. If the name is written on the piece of paper, you can't use it. It's a regular paper. So a guard from the go to the library and get me this cartridge paper, and I use the cartridge papers and I re, start rewriting the story. So that's why the book have those few stories in there. But there's several great men I met in there, and and I tell you, great because not only because they were detained with me, but great because of their own principles, their values, what they stand for. And they only came to this great country because they believe that if they got here, they're going to help to change the trajectory of their own families. All right, guys. So as you hear from the man himself, uh, Miss, uh, our Dr. Sister Wright, you guys will see the reason why you have to go and get this book. However you get it in your hand, I, I just say you need to read the book because it, 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 it captured a lot in the few pages you know even though you said there's much more to be told i think you may have to come with a second a second book but anyway i just want to close this little piece off before i turn to ian to say that man you, you i don't know if you hear this song god favors me and mm -hmm. you know when you just talk about um the embassy and this lady who've been in canada for 60 years they, there's no way they could have turned you down now again you know so even right. though the enemy would have said hey he ain't leaving Jamaica. <laughs> this little boy from Bruce is staying here. But God would have come through in making you be favored by this elderly woman. And that's that just that was what came to me, man. God favors me. So God fa favored right. you, man. I, you know, you're a blessing, you're an inspiration. I'll just turn you back over to you. All right. Well, thank you guys. Um, unfortunately. I have read the book, so I got a whole different perspective from what Ian talked about. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, there's plenty of things that caught my attention in the book, um, you know. So um, we're going to, I'm going to spend a little time on it, but I'm not going to read from the book. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> so one thing that caught my attention, um, the, the book takes seven years to write, right? So that alone is a milestone. Um, why did it take you so long, or you were just doing it as you, in your free time? Um, why did why did seven years? What was the point um, for it taking it that long? No, the, the book was written a long time ago. The book was written a long time ago. The book was written um, within a year after it came out. I just okay. I wrote it down. It took that long to get published because it had it was meant to be a private book. It was never okay. to be sold. It was meant to be a family. Uh, you know, a history book. Okay. But when when the big challenge came in with this topic about immigration and how all these people are coming across the border and how they're doing this and how they're doing that, I I couldn't stay 
quite anymore. And the other thing also is that here's what happened too. Some other folks know my story, right? And I believe even though I was well accomplished and I and I have you know I was a U.S. citizen and I'm and I'm and I'm traveling the world and I'm giving speeches. There's always a back of my head that somebody said, "Who does he think he is?" We know he came here legal. I know we know he was detained, right? So the the best way to disarm people from thinking they have something that's private about me is to make it public, right? Because you can't use something against me anymore that I just made public. So for me, it was just get this book out there, um, help to calm some of these issues where people is talking about all these black and brown people were coming here, that we're coming here to destroy the world and we're evil people when most of us are only coming here to, go, to do good. So that's why the book was published seven years later because of all the crazy stuff that was going on with immigration. Okay, awesome. All right, well, thanks for that clarification. So we're gonna stick with this number seven and we wanna talk about your first seven days. <laughs> how how you was looking at this whole process and so it's going to be a two-part question because you know where i'm going with the eight day <laughs> you know so just just explain to us now um the mindset at the time the first seven days what were you thinking so the first seven days i was lost i wanted to go home i told my wife i cry like a baby i tell her every day I'm not gonna be a I'm not gonna be a prisoner in another man's country, but I can be free in my own country. I have my master's degree. I can go back home. I can teach. I can do this. And she insists that <laughs> you need to stay here because I can't raise these two girls by myself. So the first, the first seven days was a wreck. It was just a desire. I didn't eat. I mean, I'm a skinny guy. I, I became a lot more. You know, I don't know my I don't know what's going on. With my mom and my wife. It was a disaster. And somewhere along the, the line in, somewhere around the eight day, I think uh, there's something about the new beginning, something about the eight day. I woke up on the eight day and it's like a flash came on in my head. And I said to myself, what if God had me here for a time like this? What if God has sent me here to, to open my eyes to something? And I remember sitting on the bed. The bed number was B14, was my bed number. I'm sitting at my bed number, and I turned to the guy across from me, and I was 14, and opposite was it was alternative, one, two, three, you know, like this. And he was across from me in the concrete bed. And I turned to him, and I said, I asked him, why are you here? And he said, and he started talking. And right there and then, I said to myself, huh? I don't think I was here if I get to Canada by divine intervention because I'm highly favored. There gotta be a reason why now I'm here sitting in this room for these for these seven days. And I just started interviewing people. And to be honest with you, every single day I would have people come sit by my bed just to be interviewed. Wanna tell their stories, wanna tell their stories. And so much in that when my wife called me and tell me, oh, you're coming out. I cried. I'm like, no, not yet. Because I felt like I was not only was I getting nurtured, but I felt like I was helping to uplift people's spirit while I was there so they can feel that there's hope and capturing their stories and plan to tell their story on the outside was motivated. All right. 
Awesome, awesome. So um, I want you to tell us what, what Psalms 35, Psalms verse, Psalms 30, verse 5, mean to you um, during the time when you you went through this turning point, um, if we can remember. Well, I, I listen, here's what I can tell you, is that my faith has always been the cornerstone of who I am, right? My faith. My, my, my belief, my, my, my belief in God and how God has kept me, right, has always been where I find my strength. So during those, during those, those, those days when I was, you know, so, so confined and, and didn't have anything to turn to, my belief in God, the fact that, that he brought me this far, my, my belief in God that, you know, my mom being a single mother, my belief in God that, you know, that I had the significant speech impediment, but still became deaf to head boy. My, my belief in God that, you know, I was the first person in my community to, to work in a bank, right? You know, that was important. I was the first person in my family, you know, to get a master's degree. All of these things that I was accomplishing wasn't because of who I am. But because of what God has inputted in me, that He has something bigger for me. So it was all about my faith, and I I really locked into Psalms 35 at the time to say this is where I'm going to stand, and nothing's going to let me down. All right. So just to say what Psalms 30, verse five um, reads. Um, I know um, everybody might be wondering uh, what is that, but everybody here that 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 scripture. That um, <laughs> man, this scripture here bring you through so many from so many dark places. It said weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. You know, and I could see where that that Psalms, you know, um, give you that faith and to give you that that point that you know he was looking for. Um, just gonna touch on one more point. Um, I, I really wanted to, you know, talk about. That 4:37 a.m. that morning, um, you know, kind of going back a little bit from the beginning of the story, but um, you know, you know, 4:37 a.m. Just <laughs> you know, just you know, early in the morning, you know, there with your wife and family, and you just you know, what 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 what? Give us a quick version of. Um, Probably, you know, the quick version of what was that? That ex I, I guess it's a it's a story, it's an experience, it's a it's a lifetime change, you know. But that's what that moment. I know that was the really was a dark place, and you know, I can't imagine that. You know, you know, you know. You tell it. I, I can't. I. I, I, I you, you know, you, 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 you. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, it's if I'm living in a basement apartment, you know, um, have always have, you know, always been a, up late reading, getting a master's degree. You know, you have your wife and, and, and your two daughters there. And all I heard in the morning was a real bang, like boom, 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 boom on the door. And I am, um, yeah, the door has a little peephole like in it. And then you go there and I just peep through. And I, when I look, I saw somebody's face, but the face looks 
unfamiliar because the light there, the motion light. So when you come to the door, whatever. But I realized that the person has like a, like they're strapped, like a, a, a bulletproof vest on there. And I said, police, police. I'm like, police? So I'm there and I said, open the door as we're coming in. And I opened the door and when I opened the door, the next thing I know, I was just thrown to the floor and handcuffed. And and then uh, my wife came out and she said, what's going on? And she, she just said, um, we need, uh, are you Cecil Wright? I said, yes, I'm Cecil Wright. And I said, all right, we need your, who's in the house with you? They came to the house, they looked what they had to look around. They saw my wife and my kids lying there and my mom lying there. And they said, where's your passport? And I said, my passport, my wife said, his, why, what did he do? He, you know, it's not him. And they said, where's your passport? All of a sudden, the giant saw the ICE. It was the police, it was ICE, the immigration service system. And um, they came and they, you know, handcuffed me. And what's funny about all of this is crazy. And I don't know if, I'm, if I refer it in this book or some other interview, so when they came and they handcuffed me and they put me in this cargo van, huge cargo van. In the cargo van, there's also chains, big metal iron. So they they put the, the chains also around your ankles and then ankle, then hook that to the metal and then put you on another thing. So you sit in there, your hands are handcuffed here, but your feet is also handcuffed to the floor. And... I'm telling you, it's, it's, so my mind goes fast. I'm thinking about all this stuff, right? And it's crazy because if you understand the, how serendipitous this is in the sense that what you're seeing is actually the same way in which we came from Africa in chains and shackled to a ship. I am now in an experience where I'm being shackled in a van the same way as my four parents who have been shackled and come here, came to the green land that we have to build, right? We're forced to build. And here me shackled for someone who never had a crime, who never had nothing in my life. I've never been involved with anything. All I wanted to do was a chance to become a man and to take care of my family in the greatest place in the world. And here my fourth in the morning, man, been driving around all around the Bronx, all around Harlem picking up other men and what was tough about it to be honest with you we were picking up men who were black and brown men that's what we we're picking up that's where that's what I saw I didn't see us pull into neighborhoods and picking up um, people from other Asian or European countries that came here who are other status what I saw we picking up black and brown men who had an accent and who looked like me and they were being shackled just like me and those men were we were all were taken to 26 federal plaza on the ground my wife didn't know where i was until 2 p.m that afternoon before i got a chance to say exactly where i was so it was one of those it was one of those days in my life that you don't remember but also i mean that you would never forget was also one of the days in your life that becomes the biggest motivator for what i do every single day is to do good and live well do good and live well to make sure that my shackling at 4 in the morning doesn't go in vain thanks for that uh, doctor so we know that you're a new york residents have been living in new york for so long i know you've been to manhattan 
you pass in this building, 26 Federal Plaza, Manhattan. When you go back there now, as the as the man you turn out, what, what do you think of what 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 goes through your mind if you ever you know if you I know you must at some point, um, you know. Yeah, go back. you know what? I I I'm more connected to I, I feel more pain when I drive past the detention center in Elizabeth, New Jersey, okay. than what I passed federal because yeah. and he, 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 here's what happened is also it's uh, and not everyone can not everyone has the courage to do it but I encourage people to try to do this to take your take your pain and make them your joy right take your pain and make them your joy take your weakness and build those and make those your strengths because what happened if I take all the anguish and all the anger and everything else that I went through, right? When I was detained for 21 days, it will it, it would have stifled my growth. It would have muffled me. It, it would have got me in a position where uh, I'll be depressed and and dejected, right? But I've used those failures as a way for me to be to motivate me and to say I want to make sure that's why when I get a chance to speak at immigration forums, I do so. I get a chance to speak at colleges, I do so. I get a chance to give back, I do so. I'm using the negative as a motivator for me to do more positive things. So I don't see them as a negative when I pass those places. I still have the, you know, the feeling, uh, the gut-wrenching feeling of being locked behind those bars, but I use it as a as a motivator to continue to press on. Okay, awesome. So what what would you say to, 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 to people that's been through similar situation different circumstance um, I know you use your negative and you turn it to positive but um, you know but for some people it, it it's, might be a little bit harder and challenging what what step do you think um, you would suggest that someone would take to get those past um, you know disappointment and past failures um, you know uh, away uh, behind them well uh what, well, faith is a big thing. Faith, faith. You have to have faith in something, right? And um, I think, you know, a lot of times, so there are a couple of things. I think people need to really understand the legal perspective of where they are. So if it's an immigration situation, get an attorney, right? Get a good attorney, figure what's going on that you need to work on. You know, I'm not an immigration lawyer and don't understand all of the legal ramifications of what people might do or can't do. So I cannot advise people legally, but I'll say if you're have an immigration status, get an attorney, get a good attorney. And there's several of them, even in our own Stets network, there's several attorneys that went to Stets that we know of that you can always talk to them, consult, you know, there's always a consultation. You can get consultation to get help with that. So get an attorney, it's the first thing. But I think overall though, here's where I, I, I rest my hope lies, is on my faith. And I say to this is that all of us have to find something that motivate us and understand. And that's why stories are important. That's why Ian, your story coming from Montegobe is important. Ian, your story with JB is important. Is that we got to realize is that the more t we tell our story, it inspires people to continue to work towards getting better at what they do. So one of the things I've always done, even though I was illegal at the time, I've always gone back to school. I never got myself involved in any drugs. I've always stayed focused and getting my education. I 
drive cabs at night and pay for school because I knew that if I could educate myself, I had to change my life. So I'll say to folks, if you're a young person in this country, one of the things that you should be doing is staying focused and getting either a trades that you can use or a college degree they can use. But you got to focus on something. You cannot expect, right, to walk with duck but fly like eagles. You know what I'm saying? You can't do that. You know, you can't get up every single day and dream of becoming something when I willing to work for it, right? So you have to have that passion. And again, take small steps. I said to this, I'm going to give you my last point on this and this, and this question you asked me is this. Don't worry about home runs. And, and, and Ian, in this case, don't worry about hitting a six, right? Look at a single, right? Don't worry about hitting a four all the time. You know, get a double. Because here's what here's what I'm pretty sure of is that if you can get on base in a baseball term, if you get on base, there's someone that's gonna bounce you over. Well, to most people is that they never get on base. They sit down and wait for other people to get them on base. I say to you, get on base, get a trade, go to school part-time, you know, get a certification, you know, get something that can show that you want to do better. And the more you aim to do better, I guarantee you, your folks out there is going to help you to push you forward. But just get on base. But start small steps. And don't compare yourself with anyone. Before I became a doctor, I was a cab driver. And I love to tell people that I'm a proud cab driver, car church nine, round town car service. Because when they have issues now with their kids going to college, are whether people who know me now who want to talk to somebody who was a cab driver in the Bronx for 10 years. Guess who they call? I get paid to tell you about how to change your life. I get paid to tell you exactly how you can do it. So the idea is this, don't worry about where you are, don't worry about who's ahead or who's behind. Start where you can and keep on working and God will give you the tools you need to move forward. Amen to God be the glory. Um, for that, well, well, um, that I think that's um, good enough for for the book. I think that I know anybody that watching this program, the you know, you know, we could vow that this book um, is great. Um, you know, I, you know, I I read it um, on my candle. Um, <laughs> you know, um, over the past couple of days. Um, you know, and so it's good that you did. You know, different version. I know. You know, paperback is good too. Um, thank you for that signed copy. You know, it's going to go to my collection. So I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to get one more question, um, and then um, to let Ian um, summarize the day. But I, I, I don't want to get past this. Um, your, your 1998. Um, you know, just want to bring you back a little bit. Um, you know. That, that moment in your life, you know, I, I don't know if it is a turning point, but if it's not, you could tell us what was the turning point in your life. Um, but this year, um, just tell us about your best friend, Tony, that that back in 1998, how much that affected you and how much that motivated you. Yeah. So, you know, my, my, my best friend, Tony, um, most people know that growing up was killed. You know, he went to New Orleans Secondary High School, and I went to Stets, and um, he was a teacher. I was a banker. First year, he just got his job, a couple of months in, I just got my job, and um, and he was killed by a student. 
who's killed by a student who who thought that you know had some kind of beef and wanted to get liquor and they end up killing Tony so when Tony died um a lot of things happened when Tony died a lot this is a guy who we plan to change the world together with this is someone who 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 um who was always there with me you know uh we did I, I would say this a good friend of mine uh who always said she choose her sins right this is a guy who yeah I I I I chose this guy to be my my confidant my friend my everything and when he was killed it it, it shook me up shook my belief in god for sure i'm like this doesn't make sense there's no way god could get a good man when all these evil, evil guys are out there it doesn't make sense that shook me up i wasn't married and have kids so you know we're young but for me i knew i had to leave jamaica at that time and i left and that's one of the reason why i had gone to the embassy to get out of there but tony was and still is my inspiration is still someone who i know if he was alive and see the things that i'm accomplishing he would have been my right hand man all along the way i would have been his right hand man along the way so that was a huge time in my life where i knew i had to change my surrounding um not because it was bad but i wanted to get a chance where i could do get more resources to do more good you know so that was you know once told that i'm like I got to leave this place. I got to get to America where I can do more to do good. And and that was my push. All right, amen. Over to you, Ian. You you muted in. Yes. Well, 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 and uh, it was really good listening to you here. Uh, I must say to, to to my viewers, probably they wonder every week Ian looks so so tired, burnt out. But I, I tell you, Doctor Cecil, I'm burnt out on, on, on a you Sunday. You should be. You know, my Sunday. If I tell people my Sunday, you know, and I'm gonna tell you, sometimes it's important to hit some <laughs> six too. You know? uh, but my Sunday, I I get up. I still love the cricket, man. To this day, I'm oh, still playing. playing. Sundays. So I leave on a Sunday. Yeah, I go, I play a whole day no, but, every but, Sunday that I do this program. I, I, I normally so see you commentating rather than playing. No, you know, I'm commentating, okay. I'm playing, I'm, I'm a jack of all trade, man. So, when I, nobody gets to showcase me and I'm hitting some runs and I'm taking some wickets, you know, because okay. nobody else <laughs> holds the camera. So, <laughs> so even though I'm commentating, I'm on the field. So, some days you need to hit the six. I'm just going to tell you a little joke here, you know. I remember one year we were playing Kingston Walk. Right. I represented St. Elizabeth. And Jim, yeah, me and, me and Kong I, you, you, and all these guys, Carl Ryan, my cousin. went up to St. Yeah, well, yes. you say you come from around Brucefield, Vineyard, yeah. and Mountainside. No, Carl Ryan, father, and so, my father are two second so, cousins. Well, that's the best batsman I've seen in my days at States, Carl Ryan. You know, I'll say to anybody that is one of the best batsmen I've seen is is Carl Wright, and he was my captain during my years. And I remember, man, going to Saint Catherine. Carl Wright actually make a hundred in this game, too, you know. And we had a game to win, last ball, six runs needed. I don't really bat much at six, but if you give me the bat and, and the ball because is it... in my my, my viewpoint, <laughs> it, it will go. <laughs> So I don't know if it was Carl right or Carl <laughs> right, but one of the right. Oh, 
And JB, one ball, six runs to go. JB is a top <laughs> I, I went out there, Dr. Sissel, and I tell you, this man threw up a little slow ball. When that ball released, <laughs> man, I think that ball reached me a long time. And when I swing, <laughs> that ball is nowhere near me as yet. I could almost go back over the bat and tap it from my wicket. That ball is my wicket. I could almost cry. <laughs> no, listen. I, I thought you were the champion. You the six. Now, man, my wicket, my wicket went back. And, you know, when I walk out, JB said, not this. Like he's asking what happened. And, you know, you know, the next thing that he said, he didn't do it to the respond, you know. He said, okay, guys, we have one yep, game next yep, week that we it. have to win that one. You know, he knew what happened. It's yeah. one, one swing. It's an either hit or miss. But but today, today my team needed me today, you know, and I, I, wow, I actually nice, hit a nice, six nice, and it nice, felt nice, good. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, so, some days, you know, yes. not every day you're going to win. Put it that way. Not every day you're going to hit the six. But sometimes you hit it when it is most needed because we still had other games to, to, to complete that. I think we probably have done exceptionally well during that um, season. But today, I went out and I hit a six. Felt good, man. And bring back some of those moments. So when I come yes. here on a Sunday, I'm tired, man. I'm burned. But it's because right. this is something that we're passionate about. Me and Ian, we do this from our passion. And we tell people, work in your passion. You know, something that you're passionate about. And definitely, I've seen where what you're doing, it's something that you're passionate about. You're traveling the world. You're educating people. And, you know, I'm just gonna move and level up where you know you are the founder of the um youth male empowerment symposium you know and what i just want to know man what do you say to these guys you know who just need guidance when you go well, out there? you know here's what so let me talk about our role first for your role ian role and my role um is this just tell your story that's what it is these guys mm -hmm. don't care about the car you drive and they don't really care about the fact that you know i probably have given you know, 200 speeches in the U.S. or I've spoken to, in front of six, seven thousand people. Have you know? It's you know they don't want to hear all the stuff. It's unimportant to them. Here's what they want to hear. They want to hear your story. If you want to impact lives, tell the real story. Say who you are. Tell the challenges that you have had. Tell the issues that you face, and tell how you overcome them. Because here, what happened? You cannot. There's no way you're going to inspire someone until they know you. You can't have impact on anyone until you can get involved, right? So the first thing you need to do is, is to break down that barrier of who you are. Tell them your story. You know, I'm from Jamaica. I have a speech impediment. I went to Stets. I have this. Because your story, here's what happened. You're going to reach people in, you and I, and Ian and Ian with people that other folks won't be able to reach. We have our own audience. What most people have an issue with sometimes is that they're trying to play in another man's audience or trying to play in another man's territory. I know my audience. My group of folks that are inspired by my story are African-American males, right? Or Caribbean males or immigrant males who want to hear a story of men who came here, persevere, who conquer and succeed. That's what they want to hear. They want to hear that story. But that story cannot end with a victory the story has to end with you in the starting block. How did you start? What did you do? So when I go there, all I do every single day is tell my story. I tell my story and I look people in the eye and tell them, 
is that I'm here not because I'm smart, definitely not, not because uh, I, I am good. It's because of two things. It's because of grace and the men and women who supported me, people who pushed me and influenced me and motivate me. Those are how I got here. So when I talk to kids, I say to them, is I, I want to let you know, when I see you, I see me. I see a kid. Who might be shy now i see somebody who might not who not might not be sure where they're going but i can tell you one thing i had a guy who worked with me who helped me to get to where i'm at you know i've done this i've done that we tell your real story till you're connected to your story and your story can make a big bigger impact that you're trying to just share your glory tell your story before you share your glory Amen. all right i'm happy that you that you have you have done exceptionally well with, with, with sharing your story you know you have to take it to another level in that you put it on paper man you have a book here that all of us can read you know but see me and ian have, have dig and, and torn apart some of you know the insert that you had in there and bring it yes. to the platform tonight and we say you want to get the rest of it you got to go in the book for yourself man we can take it and bring it out to you guys <laughs> yes. there's there's that, something there's something in there for everybody i get something yeah. out of it you get something the other man gets some um, everything you know gonna uh everybody gonna find something that connect that resonate with them you know so that that's the good thing i love about books that you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah. so there's there's also you know the hero of this story right in this book is my wife you know um i i can say two, two things is you know when i see how she have how she held the fort and how the things that all the things that the fate that she had her fate brought me over you know what i mean i i was done i was like i want to go back home and how she held the fort connected all the dots talked to everyone she needed to talk to um you're making sure that she reached out to every senator that she know every councilman that she know every attorney that we knew every family member that she know and then she know she needed she <laughs> knew who to go to to get all the money she needed for a bail bond and other things she did everything that she could possibly do to make sure that her husband were able to stay here to raise his daughters so you know i i say this all the time is that you know Behind every great man, people say there's a great woman. But I got to tell you, behind every great man, there's a bunch of great women. And I can tell you for sure, my mom and, 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 and my aunts and my wife have always been a big push, right? And even the nurturing and the mentoring stuff that we men do and learn how to deal with people, a lot of those things that we get, we get those inspiration from those female figures who we see every single day. How they overcome how they fought, how they held their head up. And I tell you, I tell folks all the time, I can do a lot of talking and my wife does the same thing because she's a preacher. But at the same time, I still believe that she is a hero of the story because if she didn't hold her head down, I guarantee you, I would have packed my bag. I'd be out in no time because I'm not going to be a prison in another man's country where I can be free in my own country. Yeah. Well, you know, that's where I was going to get, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, um, behind every successful man, there are some strong women that, that, that really, they, 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 they pilot it, man. It's like, they, <laughs> you're just co-pilot sometimes in, in my own life. <laughs> I'm a passenger. <laughs> I think sometimes I'm just a, a little co-pilot who, who does 
far less than my wife would have done you know you know from 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 way back in school to now she she shaped me into the person i am up to today's date you know uh, so i was gonna get down there in, in that um sense but you know just to say again you know i was on the, that the topic there because you know, i talked to like some of the athletes you know a coach can do so much for you really in that right. they can tell you everything do everything they get you right to the very starting block but they can't run the race for you you know mm-hmm. and definitely at some point you gotta find yourself you know so in you um doing all this motivation speak and everything empowering the youth and all how well do you see these um students receiving and you know really finding their own greatness yeah you know i can tell you two things you know my my partner and i um my best friend here in the u.s a gentleman named sherman brown right and Sherman and I, we co-founded Aim High Empowerment Institute. So you can see we do, you know, you know, and Sherman is one of the top motivational speaker, and I would say literally in the world, right? Um, empowerment coach in the world. And he's my best friend. I met him in college here. And we found co-founded Aim High Empowerment Institute together, which, you know, which provide mentoring guidance for students from all across the world, right? And I'll say this, and, and, and you know, the question you asked me is, how is it making an impact? I can tell you two things. One, uh, if you look at some things that we've experienced, I literally right now have a couple of people who offer scholarship back to kids who are in the AMI program um, now. And those are people who I met five years ago. And now they're police officers. They're... I have police officers, I have lawyers, I have bankers, I have teachers, I have vice president, you know. Uh, it, so when I look back and see, is it working? Absolutely, yes. Because I see these guys every day. And these are the guys who are coming back now in our, in our mentoring program and giving back because somebody gave to them, right? So I see every single day. And, and a great example is this. I currently have a gentleman who works in my office. Um, who I met six years ago in high school. I, he applied to college, got him in college. He finished college, started his own business, real estate company. And now he's back working for me, but also he's also back mentoring other students, right? So you see that this thing is working. You also see how it's working because, you know, when Barack in 2008 launched My Brother's Keeper, which is important, the Bible said, uh, I, th- I think specifically in, in Proverbs 27, verse 17, um, it says, iron sharpens iron, man sharpens man. Here's what we do is that we can understand that as great men in this, in this, in this country, especially men of color, is our sole responsibility to not kill each other, but sharpen each other. And when you sharpen one another, what happens? You see it on the road. When I make an influence on a young man in in the street, or a young man who I meet along the way, I am making a better man for somebody who might end up being the teacher of my daughter, or or being or being a mayor, right? Or being something that I've helped to shape. So our idea, the whole idea, is for us to continue our uttermost best to make sure that we can give back. And it's the more you give back, is the more you realize it's paying it forward. I see it every single day. Uh, we have our in AMI Palmer Institute, 
and 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 my partner Sherman Brown did an excellent job making sure he stay laser focused on that and game changer for what he does. And what you can see the number of men and women who came to Aim High who are so successful now and who are now volunteering Aim High Employment Institute, giving back to their local communities and to the, and at the international level. So it's working. Man, see, for me, and you, you go back to states, you go back to your community. Um, for me, I really am big in agriculture. I have a degree in agriculture also. That was my first passion. You know, coming from South St. Elizabeth, you, you basically raise on, on the farm, you know, whatever it is. And I just came up with, 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 with a, a, a pretty good statement in that you plant a seed, man, and in a year or two, you may have a field. And, and mm. simple, the same thing, same principle. You may just plant one corn, but you got years of corn that could plant a whole hectare. Not even I, I, acre. Think, I think I'm going to have to tweet you, Ian. If you plant a seed, may have an acre and tweet it and just say from Ian Thomas. It is serious. And that's what you're telling me right now with the program. Because it's like, you know, you take one student and you input into them what you, your story. Right. And, and mentorship and that would have allowed them to go out there walk in their greatness and return to the program now mentoring many uh, also you know so i'm really proud of you on that sense but you know as we see time is going we've been here a while so i'm gonna jump right. to another segment and you know another segment i i, yeah. I thought i thought we're about to wrap up you know <laughs> uh, oh, but we can wrap up without this part man wrap okay up. all right uh, what happened is that lately we know we had a um an election in the state's alumni association and you know which I, I recently became a member of that and you being one of the vice president newly elected you know and i just want to know you know with all that you have done to the educational sector you know empowerment male empowerment you know your institute and everything i just want to know you know it's good to have you as the Vice President, so I would also want to know your vision for the Alumni Association. So, uh, you know, and I, I think that's a good question. I think one first, I, I, I will, I probably want to say is that over the last twenty-five years, the Alumni Association, Tesla Alumni Association National, uh, has done an excellent job. We, it has been on the very, very strong and and excellent leadership. I think those who have gone before us are actually giants. I can see where, you know, people like Zonia Watkins and, and Carlene and, and our current president Donovan and Maureen and all those folks who have been there from day one. I think they really set the stage. They really has provided a platform for us to build on. And I think this new executive board um, with our leadership from our president uh, Donovan Wilson is at a new level. It's, I really believe that we're going to continue to build on what they has laid for us. So I think the vision that we have right now is one, is that there's a strong vision for new membership. There's a strong vision for us to, to get organization, to add new people in terms of getting new members, especially those who left that in the 2000s. We have the, the numbers are very disparaging when, when you think about the, the number of folks who left that in 2000 up to 2020, 2019, who's not a part of alumni association compared to those who left beyond that. So there's some gap there that we need to work on. So one of the focus for us is to increase membership. 
but the other focus also is for us to get organization in a position where we can give more back to stats and i think that comes with increased membership if we can find a way to have more membership in the organization we can do more we can raise more funds we can be more fiscally responsible we can be able to offer more scholarship we can be able to reach more people so the idea for us is to continue to build those two gaps at a personal level though where i would like to see us go from a personal level is for us to get to a stage where the association continue to really build on this team concept to give more back to the alumni itself so we have a large number of people who live in the US and live all across the world and one of the things that i would love to do is to get those people interconnected so we don't become this fraction organization but we become one body on the one heading so we can build and, and have a way for for further reach so the way we're going to do that is for instance you have the jb brand right you have the jb brand you know why why should it be a situation where the, uh, the association may have a conversation somewhere in the near future and say hey are are you willing to you know to have your jb brand um on the reset page right and and how does that impact your outreach is to make sure other people who have other businesses or have other professions to make sure we promote those people think about the number of opportunities we have if we can collaborate if you have a job uh, or uh, opening your company and they're looking for someone we should be referring people and say hey this person has a job so we want to give back more to the association making sure that we can help each other we're in a country where strangers in a foreign country and if you don't forget what the bible said that psalms but you know that you know when remember the days of babylon when we sat down by the rivers right we that's where we are we're in a position where we have to unite ourselves and i think for me the main focus is get us united make sure those who are in north carolina and south carolina right and in florida and in georgia and in texas and london and and and, and maryland make sure that they're all connected into organization because the more we're connected is the more we can do and i think that we're onto something big i'm excited in because everyone's committed our president is committed to the growth i think those who have served before who's acting as ex officio and and helping to see organization they're committed and i think we have some great years ahead of, of us for the association all right do you want to hear something coming from yes. ian and ian yes sir all right you want the win the formula for winning new membership talk to me all right question for you if i should take away your cell phone right now how difficult would it be for you to function very difficult okay tell us the impact that cell phone has on the new generation right now i think it's massive i think technology has a massive impact instagram twitter you know um all of the tools they have is is very impactful in making sure to stay connected with them all right so i think you have your your answer right within there for the younger generation i i tell you the emails ain't gonna work that much anymore right you know people gotta start getting out there you gotta go on their ball field they're not playing the games we used to play. The cricket, they ain't playing no cricket again, man. And no road. They're not playing no soccer in the road like how we used to play. You know, these guys, it, 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 it's it's handheld game. It's sad to see them 
you know, getting fat early, but that's where they are. So if you right. can't meet them on that play field, that they are on, not that the one that we used to be on, right? but the one that they are on, we're going to be in trouble. And for these new kids, new generation, it, it's going to be the Twitter, the, the social media, really, the TikTok. Absolutely. And if you can't find them there, you, you, you're not going to interest them. They have five, about one minute window, our attention span, you ain't get right. it there. It's gone. You, you're, you're in trouble. So I think that's yeah, the answer. I, yeah, and, and we're doing well. I can tell you two things. One, and I'll be tracing on this one, and we have a group of folks who are very focused on growing the organization in terms of membership. So we have added some, you know, some membership committee. And to your point, you're going to see an, an, an overhaul of our website coming soon. We have the Stets alumni live every Sunday evening, um, you know, which is hosted by one of our current students on campus in Stets every Sunday evening from eight to nine. And you also have, you know, a YouTube channel that's coming, a Twitter handle that's coming, a Facebook that's coming. So we have a lot of things we're doing on the technology, social aspect side to connect the new group. So you'll hear a lot more for that in the very And, and it's, it's working, that's why I, I tell you, that's it. You just gotta keep it there, that's it. Yes. That's the answer, man. So Ian, back to you again, man. All right, well, very, very, very interested night. Very, very, very interested comment. Um, I'll take some personal notes myself. Um, you know, I am a member of the Stets alumni. I'm a member of the community. Um, you know, I am, you know, just like a new member. I am looking and, you know, trying to see how I'm still assessing to see how can I contribute something. I don't like to be a part of anything just to just to make up numbers, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, but at least that's the first step. Uh, you can't talk from outside. You got to talk from inside. <laughs> so yes. the first step is to get a membership. Um, I would say to anybody that's a part of the Stets community, even if I think that's the minimum that. We could do is to is to is to pay forty dollars a year for a membership. Uh, even if you can't participate, or even if you just even if you don't have the time, at least if you just just look at that as a contribution to the school. Don't even look at it as a membership. So you know what? I'm a, I'm giving the school forty dollars towards something because I know the membership will help in some way. So if you can't. If you say, look, I'm too busy and I can't do it, at least just join a membership. You know, I'm pretty sure um, you just never know. I leave emails are still out. Um, you know, I'm unfortunately, I'm better to get in touch with email, Ian, than social media. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> email, email is it worse. So don't, don't get me wrong, but you got a channel also on the other side. Yeah. Um, Yep, you know, I easier for me. As I said, um, I am I am an email guy. I you know I got different email for different things, and you know, you know the, yeah, the, these young that. guys. Yeah, you know what these young guys do with the email? <laughs> they use the email just to create a Google account or to create a Twitter account or Insta. They use it just for that. Yeah, but for them yeah. going in and checking it, man, call it over. <laughs> <laughs> You better instant message them that they just see a quick pop. But yeah. okay, respond yeah. or not, right here. And, and, and the good thing is, 
for me, I know as a businessman, um, you know, doing athlete management and stuff, um, I am I could be accessed from ten different platforms. There you go. Right. Um, I am. I got three business on every single platform. Yeah. No, yeah. that's it. So uh, it, it, it's just go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, it's just like making money. You now you have to have multiple stream of income. One, one ain't gonna hold it. If yeah. you wanna really live life, yeah. unless you find one, you know, and you sit in the president, um, uh, I'm seat for the next fifty years. You're good. <laughs> anyway, I'm back to you, Ian. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, no. So this is my final thought. Um, yeah, and my final question. Um, you know, I was given my thought, then I was gonna give my question about um the Stets alumni. I said I just wanna. I know there's a lot of um, members, people that's in the membership that's on here right now. Um, I just want to say, look, I I'm encouraged by what you guys are doing, and um, you know, this you know, keep up the good work. I am obviously, as I said, you know, with 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 everything kind of standstill right now, with 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 what's going on with with COVID, you know, uh, I know that things would come together. I'm looking forward when I could be able to come to the pen relays. I haven't been to the pen relays for the simple reason that my daughter's birthday is April 29th. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm in a tough situation every year. I've been trying to go to the pen relay. The last time I went to the pen relay is when she was born. And uh, I haven't gone to the pen relay because her birthday always the day before, the day after. And I travel so much that it's 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 very hard for me to 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 travel to pen relays. I know I want to see connections and things like that, but when I know that I have to go out the country for the whole summer, so um, I'm not able to get it. But she's 18 right now. Maybe she don't want to spend her birthday with me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> very true. I tell you that much. <laughs> so um, you know, I am open to to see what she has planned next year, and then um, we're gonna make that plan. But my final question for this great, great interview, um, I want you just to summarize what, what's the American dream to you? Just tell me in, 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 in a short version, what is your American dream or, you know, in, in your in your world? Well, it, it, in my world is, is what I consider, you know, do good and live well. That's the American dream for me. Do good and live well. I think you know, all of us who come to come to the U.S. have a chance to make an impact, um, whether it's here or somewhere else. And so for me, the American dream is always do good and live well. If you can find a way to do good, do good exactly where you are, do good in your corner of the world, do good back home, do good in the household in which you live, you know, take care of who you live with, make sure they're happy, take care of your friends and your associate. If you do good, uh, you have a great chance of living well. So the American dream for me, you know, folks love to measure houses and cars. You know, I remember this. I can tell you one thing. When I bought my first new car, I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have a new car. And it's good. But after a while, that wears off. You get a new house and those things wear off. But having a sense, a peace, and, and, just, and just a sense of giving back and sense of, of knowing that you know, you can go and just help other people to make their lives better. I think there's nothing more powerful in life for me than that. You know, um, so for me, it's just do good, man. That's really the American dream for me. Just keep doing good. And if you do good, you live well. And 
and hopefully by the grace of God you live long and that's important but I want at the end of my journey if somebody should turn over my tombstone and said you know how did he live folks should said he did good and he lived well <laughs> all right amen so before I, I let Ian close it out um, this is the book that I'm reading right now it's a very good book by Dr. Tony Evans No More Excuses yeah and I've been in this book here for months and um, you know I read it read it and it's been it's been making me a better man and you know it, it's um, so just want to share this one here all right over to you Ian all right uh, Dr. Wright so Ian had actually prolonged this um, interview a little bit longer and he had mentioned about COVID and uh, I wouldn't close it out without at least get your take on this um, COVID this pandemic is something the world have never seen before it have shut down the entire world near and far you know whether we like it or not it will affect somebody who we know somebody that is close to us you know sadly many have shed tears in terms of losing loved one many have lost the very things that they have worked hard for including their homes their cars you know a lot of their assets and so much more and mentally the entire nation is drained you know whether you like it or not this pandemic have touched us where people are anxious you know they are uncertain about what is going to happen next you know they basically find it hard to just cope with the, the whole pandemic issue it's basically overwhelming. That's what I would say. And I could not have asked a better person to speak on this than you who have spent your years empowering others and, and just helping to guide them along. Just would have you talk to just anyone out there or audience who may just be, find themselves going through a tough spot or even know somebody who is going through a rough time but somehow being affected by this pandemic. Could you just speak into that for a little? Yeah, you know, you know, and that is <clears throat> that's such a good question because I think the pandemic has impacted us on all levels. It, it has definitely changed the way we think, the way we act, the way we behave. And I want to first talk about the good things out of it. I'm, I'm going to give you what's called a sandwich effect for a second. I'm going to give you some bread some meat and then give it some bread at the end, right? I keep and the some meat water. Some water. Some water. <laughs> Did it. So here's what happened. Um, this pandemic has caused a lot of people to become physically distanced, but more socially connected. Right? So, and I can tell you, because of Zoom, and, I, I, and I'm not Zoomed up, people keep saying they're Zoomed out, and I get it, but I've spoken to people who I haven't seen in years because of pandemic because now we can't fly to go somewhere i've been on especially alumni association we have been on zoom like every weekend with folks i haven't seen for years so even though we're physically distancing i've become a lot more socially connected to people so that's so that's good and i do know that the people out there who are hurting the people out there who are saying what's going to happen we don't know what's going to happen but i think that one of the things that people can do to help get them through the pandemic is is to be conscious about where they are. Find support groups, right? 
I can tell you when I get together with my friends on a Friday night or when I call my, uh, we have what's called mental check-in. So Sherman Brown, my best friend, runs a program on a Monday night called mental check-in. Well, we mental check-in for men. When we get together, mental check-in for men for 15, 20 minutes, it's a group of men from all across the country getting on this conference call for about 25 minutes. And all they're talking about what they're doing. Like for instance, what am I doing in my home that's helping me to become successful? So I think what we need to do is to share what we're doing. Good example is that for me, what I do, I make sure the balance. I make sure that I spend time with my son. I make sure it's for my family. I make sure I exercise, make sure what we need to do to keep moving is important. So even though the pandemic is daring and is, is causing people to, you know, to lose their minds, we have to find ways of adopting. Mankind have always adopted. We've always found a way to adopt and to change what we do. So if you can find a way to, to find a group that's helped support any kind of group that you can get to be a part of, be a part of that group. Group conversations do help. There's also other resources out there. So if people, they're in challenges and they need resources. If they're unemployed or they are, or they have what's called food insecurities, right? Um, which is food insecurity means that somebody might be working, but they might be working out part-time or they're currently laid off. So there are food banks. There are churches out there that provide food banks and provide places where people can get help. The only people who don't get help in this world are those who don't ask, right? So in this pandemic, you got to find a way to ask for help. Look for resources, right? Find a group that has to support you. If there's food insecurity, find a place you can get where, where you can go ahead and get um, food if you need food. There's also families who struggle with managing children because they are homeschooled and other issues. Well, if those are the cases, what you need to do in those situation, find out from the school district. Are there areas in which there's group meeting? Or can the teacher spend more time? The same tutoring that, that would have happened after school, can the tutor spend more time with your child one-on-one because they work from their home, right? So whatever you can do when you ask those questions. And my number one thing, just ask. If you're not asking the right questions, if you're not asking for help, it's always difficult. The last thing on the pandemic where I think that we're going to, we have to be, keep our eye on is that this pandemic is going to allow some people to be a lot richer while folks become a lot poorer, right? The gap is widening, right? That's what's happening. The gap is going to widen because those who have the resources can do more. Those who don't have resources can do less. So look for ways in which you could team up with other people to help to make sure you don't fall behind. All right. <clears throat> that was a powerful one. As I said, I am happy that I had you here tonight that I could ask such a question and get such a, 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 a complete sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and some water. <laughs> with some water, with, you know, healthy. It's a healthy sandwich, not just any yeah. sandwich. So, you know, no. it, could be, it could be a, a little, um, not a normal sandwich, but this one is a healthy, vegetable packed, you know? Right. But a question I want to ask a strong man now, um, Dr. Cecil, you know, because all of us, we do have weakness too, you know, in everything. And I don't think you have much weakness, but I'm just going to throw this question. 
<laughs> ask, ask my wife. <laughs> I just want to throw this question in right at the end here. You know, is there anything that Dr. Cecil Wright wanted to do for a very long time, but haven't so far because it may just scare the hell out of you? Yeah, a lot of things. A lot of things. Some are on the way. Some are coming. Um, and 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 some is not because it scare. It really scares me. Some is that I don't have the resources to do it. Right. And sometimes the pocket doesn't catch up with the vision. Right. And and that's that's always a challenge of balance which you go first. So I can give you a good example. Is that for years I wanted to build a gated community literally so here's what happened if you wanted to build a house if you just think about building a house it might take a couple of years which is easy to do and you might do it in five years but if you want to build a gated community it might take you 20 years but things have to scare you so now in my mind i'm so focused and locked in into realizing that not because you know, if you, you're a farmer, Ian, right? And we have about farming. Um, I do some farming back home. You should know that. that I want to tell you that. I currently have a, a decent-sized farm home. It's about 32 acres, five acres of produce and cattle and all kind of stuff. And I go home every three months to put out my water boat, jump in a truck and run cows and, and, and run a big melon farm and cantaloupe and beetroot and you name it. So why you not leave me down every yeah. man? Right. right. So 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 so, 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 I, so I, I don't want you to think that you're the only one farm. But the, the point I'm driving about about I want to I don't want to answer your question about dreams is that so in my mind is that things that people accomplish in two years or three years is good, but when you have a dream so big, you should know that some of your dreams won't take. You have to be patient enough. They're going to take you ten years or fifteen years, and those are the ones that scares us. But those are also the ones that defeats us because sometimes when you see other people who are succeeding because they decide to build a two-bedroom or they, they, they decide to build this little house and you plan to build this and all of a sudden you realize that you're not there yet. But don't let that hold you. Keep on pushing forward. So for me, is that some of the things that I have failed to do is that I have some visions that's not out there yet. I have some missions I want to accomplish and I will get to it. And I, you know, it's scary for other people. It scares me what I'm thinking of doing. But I believe that if you, you know, Tyler Perry said, go build your own table. You know, when you see what Tyler Perry did, um, where he came from, he built a whole community. When you think about LeBron James, what he did in building a school and taking care of thousands of kids, that's what we're talking about. You have to dream big. And for me, I have a lot of scary dream in my head. And I don't know if they'll all come true. I can guarantee you one thing, that the man above is going to make quite a few of them come true. Well, thank you for sharing, man. I just want to say it was a privilege to have you here on the platform. You know, I really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know the viewers have been inspired. They've been motivated. They've been uplifted. And I knew that this Sunday afternoon was going to be a very good one. You know, both interviews went exceptionally well, you know, I think when you add doctor to your name, man, it is it is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's a good thing. I, and I, it's very encouraging to others, you know, to even just to see that, you know, someone who have come from a little town as Bruce Field have make it 
all the way into South Africa, travel the world thus far. When I look at the, the, the gentleman this afternoon, Dr. Ahmed, he's coming back from way back into Pakistan from a little community. They say Moulton. You know, wow. so we realize that people coming from small little communities are able to make it out to the big world, the world of dream. You know, this this America, the American dream, you know, and you could have said that better. So I just want to say to all the people out there who are watching, to just know that, guess what? People say the sky is the limit. But really, I don't say no limit. The limit is the limit that you put on yourself. You know, we see people go way out in space. At one point, they never think that nobody would ever make it there. But right. guess what? So it's a limit that you put on yourself. And once you are willing, and as you have said, you know, faith. Faith is, is a really strong word. And it's believing in things that we can't see. We don't. You don't even know. You're just like, guess what, man? You go in the plane, and they put on that parachute and everything. Just jump and believe it's going to open. You know, sometimes you just got to believe. You got to have belief and belief is powerful also. So with faith and belief, man, and your discipline and you know, your work ethics, you can achieve greatness. And I really am proud of you, proud of your accomplishment, all that you have done and proud of your leadership. And we look for big things here, you know, the alumni um, group, you know, so people while we're here, if you haven't joined, you may want to seek out, you could reach Dr. Cecil Wright also, the vice president. and. We're here, Ian and Ian, you know, we're always here every week. We promise to just bring people who will educate, inspire, motivate, just shed some some light on their journey. And and as you say, tell your story. That that right. that's basically it. By telling yeah. your story. I know that we're wrapping up. Before God, I will, I wanna just say thank you to both of you, man. I think yeah, you, guys, you guys are the absolute gentlemen and to invite me and to speak and and I I appreciate it. And I can tell you one thing. Um, you know, everything starts small, so keep on doing what you're doing. You know, uh, I, I've always known that if you listen to Les Brown or any one of these guys, you'll hear the story about the Chinese bamboo tree, right? A Chinese bamboo tree is a particular tree that in many instances, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a tree that actually grows over a hundred feet, right? But it takes over seven years for the tree to grow. So imagine you're going through growing every single day, you're pouring water, pouring water, you see nothing coming up. It takes seven years, but once it's spurred through the ground, I think they it takes about seven to 10 days to grow over a hundred feet. The question is, did it take seven years or seven days? So what you guys are doing right now, to you, it might seem like it's just spurting, you're pouring the water, but you guys are planting a great seed you are great alumni of stats you got to represent yourself well both at all levels professionally and personally and i want to commend you guys for what you're doing keep up the great work man i'm happy to to support you guys anywhere i can and um i'm looking forward to your support in alumni association uh we have some great guys um i just want to also recognize our executive board for the alumni association you know donovan our other vice president henry and our treasurer nadine um mm -hmm. uh, so henry is on there so nadine um elaine um belinda um Dean, and all the committee members who are working and i am i'm so proud to work with those guys and i'm so proud to be on you guys show because what you guys are doing olive and junior also put out what you guys are doing because because of you guys that is how stats is going to continue to grow so thank you guys for having me i appreciate you both 
All right. Amen. All right, Doc. Um, I would have asked you to say a prayer, but I think we're running out of time now. Um, so uh, may, the, may, may the Lord bless you and keep you in everything you do. Blessings. All right. Take care. All right. Take care, guys. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.